This past Saturday, Oklahoma had their worst performance on offense since Lincoln Riley stepped foot on campus. The offensive line truly played their worst game of the year. Ramondre Stevenson looked a tad slow, the receivers struggled to block and get open, and Spencer Rattler was certainly confused by disguise coverages and never really got comfortable in the pocket. Oh, and the game was never in doubt and OU won by double digits. I am refusing to take this win for granted. If you go under the curtain a little bit, this game for OU can really be taken as a massive blessing in disguise. Of course, I'm not happy that OU's offense looked like crap, but Baylor's defense, and by extension their coaching staff, deserve a massive amount of credit. Quite simply, I don't think I've ever seen a team more prepared to stop what OU does best. Baylor had an answer for everything that Oklahoma wanted to do on offense, and they executed extremely well. The great thing about this game is that it cost them nothing. They still won the game. There were no injuries. The defense picked the offense up when they were at their worst. Baylor provided the blueprint to slowing down Oklahoma's offense, but now all of that is on tape. Lincoln Riley will use this game to insert adjustments into his scheme. He knows how good defensive coordinators are likely to attack his unit going forward, and the offense will be prepared and better for it. Baylor's offense was well-prepared too. They attempted to attack the Sooners in all the areas they've shown vulnerability this year. There was plenty of empty formations and tempo, tunnel screens to slow down the pass rush. There was QB run game, and they even tried to take a shot downfield every now and then against obvious man coverage. It didn't matter. OU's defense is just a lot better now, and this was without four starters and other depth pieces on that side of the ball. I think this game provides an amazing opportunity for growth with this team. They went into this game on a short week of practice knowing they would be without a lot of key guys, and instead of playing a typical 2-6 and six team, they were in a mental dogfight against a team that is way better than their record indicates. Take the W, tip your cap to a well-prepared opponent, and use this challenge as a springboard for a great week of practice leading into a great performance on the road in the regular season finale. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Back on fourth down, looking, flushed left, still looking, got to throw it, he does, picked off, intercepted by DJ Graham, and out of bounds at the 44-yard line, his first career interception. All right, DJ Graham provided one of the most thrilling plays last Saturday in Oklahoma's 27-14 win over Baylor. Graham's a guy that's impossible not to be excited about, listed at only 5'11", I think he plays a lot bigger than that as a cornerback, which everybody in the Oklahoma fan base uh, will certainly take at this point. What's up, everybody? I'm Lee Benson. You just heard Grant's opening take, which I think was a very good opening take, uh, by the way. A big thank you to all of you out there who listened to my whining last episode and left us a rating. Especially a big thanks to one of you listeners who dropped us a five-star review. You know who you are. Here's the deal. We're still at four and a half out of five. And you know what? I think that's on us. That is our fault. We got to own it. And, you know, it was our decision to go to one show per week this season. And in addition to that, you know, maybe Grant and I just aren't providing the high level content that we certainly hope that we'd provide when we began this podcast back in August of 2017. So, you know what? I think it's on us. It's on us right now. And we will effort to do better beginning with the show today. So with that, going to welcome back Grant in, and I'm going to see if you want to apologize, Grant, for our lack of five-star worthy content this football season. I don't know if I want to apologize. I did have a bit of a problem with you last week, uh, kind of begging for five-star reviews, though. 
I'm one of those guys where it's like, I don't, I don't know why you would really ever leave a review on one of those things. I certainly appreciate all the people who do. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm Wait not, a second. I'm not, You've never left a review on a podcast? I've left. Uh, no, I haven't actually. Wow. Now that I think about it. I certainly appreciate wow. the people who do. Um, well, it's a good but, thing you've never asked for them then because then that would be quite hypocritical for you. I yeah. have left ratings and reviews, by the way, just so just to be fully out there and transparent. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm sure I like it's not that I it's not that I disagree with like the method of doing so or anything. It's just like, I don't know, any any random person can go on the iTunes store and write a review for anything. So I'm kind of, you know, I, I certainly appreciate the people who actually take the time to, to write stuff out. And, you know, it's it is what it is. But at, at this point in time, you know, we're kind of we've been this is the fourth season we've been doing this. Kind of either like us or you don't. It's one of those things. And, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, it's that's I, true. That's and uh, me, someone like I, I, I know for sure that I'm the type of person who, you know, kind of the way that I argue and some of the like the tone that I take and I'm not for everybody. And so I think a lot of the times that's going to be, you know, going to be pretty polarizing. But I don't know. I think uh, if, if you're doing something like with your voice and the radio or podcast and, in, you know, industry and uh, kind of what you always should be shooting for is you want uh, half the people to love you and half the people to hate you because the people that hate you typically will hate listen to it. And that's really, you know, that's awesome. You know, more power to you. Yeah, well, your style certainly isn't for everyone on this podcast either that hosts, just uh, just so you know. <sighs> Great. But no, uh, I mean, I, yeah, okay. I, I I know what you're talking about, though. Yeah, we, we had to go to the one, you know, once a week thing. And let's be real. I mean, our our podcast used to be a lot more in-depth than they kind of used to be. Um, 2020 is weird. Adulthood is weird. Things happen. Maybe someday or uh, in, in the future we'll be able to kind of go back to two shows or be able to provide kind of that uh, that high level analytical analysis again. But uh, sometimes life just gets in the way. I, for the record, I still think we do provide a little bit more details than maybe uh, maybe we're we're letting on right now. As I want to uh, pat myself on the back a little. Yeah, bit. we're pretty uh, hard on ourselves. Though. Gonna, pretty hard on ourselves. Yeah. All right, so we do have three-word reviews, and we've been doing that a lot this football season to get to your three-word reviews, and also it uh, helps us get into discussion topics that maybe wouldn't, we would not have touched on before. But before we do that, though, I was thinking, okay, if I'm somebody that wants Oklahoma football content, especially our podcast, which comes out in the middle of the week, later in the week, uh, and that's by choice, and you know, the game's already been over with. People want to obviously hear our thoughts on the game, but also you know, what's the most interesting thing going on in Oklahoma football right now? And sometimes for me that's difficult to drill down on because my interests are different than a lot of other people's interests, that I, I believe. Like, for example, I, and I'm not going to – I'm going to guess most people on this uh, that listen to our podcast don't feel this way, but there are probably some Oklahoma fans that are interested. Uh, college football playoff. Oklahoma is not going to make it. It doesn't really interest me to go into the different scenarios that Oklahoma can make it. If it if it happened, it would be completely out of nowhere and crazy stuff would have to happen, uh, especially after just kind of squeaking by Baylor by, you know, barely two scores. So I have no interest in gaming out where Oklahoma or how Oklahoma could make the playoff. Do you care about that, Grant? I care about it a little bit. Um, I, I like, like maybe I, like I, late later in the sh- not like off the top, like, hey, this is the most pressing thing. No, it's not the most pressing thing. You know, I'm I'm still of the opinion that if Ohio State doesn't get in, and it's looking like as of today that that I mean they are going to get in almost certainly. Um, I'm still of the opinion that you know if Ohio State doesn't get in for whatever reason for uh you know for not playing a lot of games 
and if OU wins out, they're going to be in really good position. I still think that is true. Um, is any of They'd that part likely? Of the debate, is is I what I do? I think any of that is going to happen? No, no. I, Ohio State is going to win the Big Ten championship, and they're going to put them in as the four seed, and none of this is going to matter. And if we get to the end of the show and we want to talk more about the playoff rankings, sure, we, we will. And, and all of you who enjoy our thoughts and takes, you, you can, can listen that long. But that's not uh, the spot for that discussion right now. But you know, let, me just, let, let me add one more time. If for whatever reason, after deliberating, the, the playoff committee decides we just can't go with Ohio State because they only played six games. And also, like... Another thing that could happen, what if Notre Dame beats Clemson again? So Clemson has two losses, and they're not an ACC champion. Um, and OU wins out. I, I, OU is in good position in those scenarios. Like I, I still think OU would would maybe be the betting favorite if Ohio State is not in or, or if Clemson loses again. Like I think OU would get that last spot. Nah, but um, but uh, we don't need to uh, talk about it because I, I, it's no. not going to happen. So. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I was thinking, okay, what is the most interesting thing? And so I think what you touched on in your opening take is the most interesting thing, the offense playing the way it did. And as you said in the opening take, the worst performance for a Lincoln-Riley-led OU offense, which I would agree. I, I think that's the most interesting thing going on. What happened? What, like, I, I was at the game. I am up top. I shoot for News 9. I'd love to shoot the all 22 and just have it for myself and watch it back, but that's not my job. We have to shoot video that's usable for television, so it's a lot tighter. So it's difficult for me to really get a, a good feel fully of what's going on. I mean, it's a lot better than being down on the field because I can see a lot more from up top, but my biggest question when I left that game was what was Baylor doing outside of the defensive line to make it so difficult for Spencer Rattler because I, I wanted to know what they were doing in the secondary. And so when I went back and watched the game on the television copy, to me, it, uh, it looked like they did a, a great job of mixing a lot of zone and man principles. And like I said last week, the secondary for Baylor is its strength. And Baylor's secondary played extremely well. And it was a, it was a very prepared defense. And we said that that team looked a lot better than their, what, two and five record. And I don't think that was a, a, uh, a crazy thing to say. I think there's other, other Oklahoma media members saying that as well, I, I believe. I mean, it's just if you dig into their numbers and you watch them play, it, it, they're not a typical 2-5 and five team, but still a team that Oklahoma should not have had that much of a struggle with. So I kind of have some thoughts on what happened defensively, I'm sorry, offensively, that are going to probably be a little bit different than yours. And maybe something, some different things that you have heard in the last few days. So hopefully this is going to be something that is unique to this podcast. And even though we're a few days after the game, we'll get you all thinking a little bit because I think I have a little bit more nuance and maybe uh, some other places that you would get information. And will it be correct or, or, or will it be right? I don't know. That'll, I'll let you make the, uh, the judgment on that. So first off, though, Grant, I'll, I'll, let you, uh, I'll let you go. What was going on? Why did Oklahoma's offense struggle as much as it did on Saturday? It's a combination of a lot of different things. And I think I, I sort of laid it out a little bit in my opening take, but um, combination of OU not really practicing or having a short week of practice. Um, them, it, it looked like they hadn't practiced in a long time. Uh, there was, there's a few guys who just looked a tad, like Ramondre Stevenson was not running as fast as he typically does in that game. He looked a tad slow. There was a there was a time where Theo Weiss looked like he was dragging a a, a truck behind him on a catch that he made I think uh, at the beginning of the second half. Uh, it just it just kind of looked weird. There was something off about them, 
and then couple that with a defense that was extremely prepared, extremely prepared. And I, I, I say, I, I do think that was the most outside of maybe LSU's defense last season, which Dave Aranda also coached. Uh, that was that was the most prepared a Big Twelve team I think has ever been to defend what Oklahoma wants to do on offense, and I'm just impressed by it. I'm really impressed by it. Um, if you just take that as a one game sample size, Baylor that's that's definitely the best defense Oklahoma has played this season. Um, I obviously you know we can there's other games that have been played, but um, I I just I cannot remember a time where a defense was as locked in and knew pretty much exactly what Oklahoma wanted to do pretty much at every time, and they had an exact answer for it. That's just a really, really well-coached defense. They were very, very prepared for that game. And OU was not prepared on offense. So yeah, I, I think it was... In turn, the, yeah, yeah. Lincoln Riley, he had a couple of um, adjustments here and there, but nothing to where it really opened up the playbook and made Baylor start to think twice. And in his Tuesday press conference, he said, yeah, not surprising. He said, everybody on offense played poorly at different times. And that's obviously true. And I talked about this a little bit with you off the air before we came on, and, and I want to pose this to the listeners. I, I think it's important to ask this question. Did Oklahoma just play poorly because a lot of their guys had bad games? They just, like every single guy in Oklahoma just played, ba- played bad, played poorly? Uh, or was it that Baylor, the play of Baylor, caused a lot of Oklahoma guys to play poorly? And I think there's a significant difference in that uh, when you're going through the motions as a team and you're just not doing your job and you're failing over and over again against bad teams and playing like crap. I think there's a difference between that and then playing against a team like Baylor, who because of the way they were prepared and the way they played forced you into not playing as well as you normally play. And I think that's what happened on Saturday. I think, I think you're hundred percent correct about what you said a little bit ago. I mean, Dave Aranda and the defensive coordinator, by the way, is Ron Roberts, who is a, uh, is a mentor of Aranda. So they're on the same page all the time. I mean, he, he coached at Louisiana, which has had a pretty good defense over the years. Granted, it's a group of five team, but now they're in the top 25. They just beat Iowa State this year. People know a little bit more about Louisiana than they probably did in the past. So Aranda gets this guy from Louisiana who he knows, who taught him everything he knows in a lot of ways. They devised a game plan that I would describe as controlled aggressiveness against Oklahoma's offense. And let's, let's go with the offensive line. Because that unit's getting a lot of flack. I'm not an expert, and we've talked about this before. I'm not an expert in offensive line, run blocking, pass blocking. I, I don't know the ins and outs of that as much as I do, let's say, the secondary. Uh, so, for example, there's a play in the game. All of you remember. It's, it's one of the four sacks that Baylor got. I'll see a three-technique tackle just shoot right by Adrian Ely and Tyrese Robinson and get a sack on Spencer Rattler. And when I watch that play, I, I think to myself, I have no idea why Adrian Ely is looking first to the outside in his pass block drop while the man is inside him rushing free. So the question is, is that supposed to be Tyrese Robinson's man? Because, you know, Robinson, he blocks down on the one technique and he helps out Creed Humphrey. So they're double teaming one guy while another guy just runs free. And this looks like an obvious breakdown. I'm sure it is. And it's bad. But I didn't see stuff like that happening all night long. I just saw it that one time, like a, a, a yeah. On that breakdown. on that particular play, that definitely seemed like everyone else was in a different protection than Ely was. Ely was got a different call there, or he thought he did. That that had I right. I have to think that's what that was. 
So it's, again, I, I don't know how that happens because uh, to me, logic dictates that, okay, let's say you are crossed up on the calls and you're Adrian Ely. You, all, all you have is what's in front of you and you see a guy rushing by. I, mean, I guess maybe, maybe you can't feel really where Tyrese Robinson is th- to your left, I guess. Uh, maybe you think he's right there and he's going to pick this guy up. I don't, I don't know. I've never played offensive line. So that's the thing. It's like I, I can't comment on that. I don't know how it's supposed to work. And so I think it's really easy just to dog on the offensive line when things are going bad. But it, I, I'm uncomfortable with it uh, on a macro level because I don't really understand what they're trying to do a lot of the time or what the, what the jobs are, principles are. Um, and, and another example, I mean, I saw Eric Swenson just get bull rushed one time, get knocked over on, on his ass one time. I, that was bad. Uh, but I mean, I, to me, I didn't see Oklahoma's offensive line snap to snap, play to play, just blowing assignments and messing up over and over again. Uh, at least I don't think I did. You know, maybe Bill Biedenboe would totally disagree with me, and I'm sure he would because he's, I mean, he's going to coach those guys hard up. But I think a lot more of it is just Baylor's front and Baylor's defense just really made it difficult for Oklahoma all night long. Up front. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I I saw instances where, let's see here, there was one, um, it was on a drive where OU had to end up kicking a field goal. Uh, it was it was first down, and I, they gave it to Ramondre, and Swinson just, I don't know what he was doing, he just kind of whiffed on the backside defensive end, um, and they, the backside defensive end came in and got Ramondre for a loss of one. That was on a, a drive where they ended up kicking a field goal. Um, I saw some ins- a lot of instances where the guards uh, were supposed to work to the second level, but just were just a, t- a touch slow and couldn't get to the second level, and the linebacker was there in the gap able to, to get the running back. Uh, I, I don't, I, I don't know. Like I, I, I told you before coming on the podcast that, um, the offensive line and kind of the way that people were talking about the offensive line back in September and early October when they weren't playing well, this is so bad. You and I kind of defended them. And I told you that, um, that rhetoric matched up to what the offensive line looked like this past Saturday, much more than it did in the early part of the season. I, I noticed it during the game. I thought they played really poorly. I, I, I thought they were a touch slow. I thought they looked, I'm not going to say disinterested at times, but they looked just not ready to play. Um, of course, there were times where there were clean pockets and there there were times where they executed just fine. Uh, but I just, I don't know, like especially on the interior, um, guys, you know, Creed Humphrey had been, you know, the last five or six games, he'd been really good and he was not great at all on Saturday night. Marquise Hayes was terrible. Like he was the guy who struggled to kind of get to the second level. A lot of the times on that, just kind of looking disinterested at times, uh, Swinson, you know, Swinson has been a lot better in the second half of the season than he really ever has in his entire career. But I, I thought he kind of reverted back to his, to his 2019 self. I, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I thought they looked really bad. I thought they played by far their worst game of the season up front um but like i said i i think i think baylor being so successful probably had some to do with that like at at some point in time if you're playing offensive line does the thought start to creep into your head holy crap these guys know exactly what we're doing at all times and they did yeah baylor knew exactly what ou was doing pretty much every time and so yeah i've established myself as i I will defend the offensive line a lot more uh than than a lot of people and and to your point though I, i i mean I'm I'm not sitting in here and saying that they played a, a good game. I mean, I I mean you can't say that considering they couldn't run the football. They averaged less than three yards per carry. That hasn't happened since Ramondre's come back. Uh, so I mean, the running game that that was tough. But I I don't think it was all the offensive line. I don't think it was all, it, it was like Lincoln Riley will tell you. I think he's right. It's 
everybody factors in onto a lot of the offensive woes. Yeah, I think. But for instance, like I, I think, I think pretty much all the sacks, and I'm trying to go through them in my head. I think all the sacks were on Spencer Rattler for the most part. Um, like not seeing stuff pre, like pre cut or you know pre snap and, and all that. Um, but you know, I it's the offensive line did not play well at all. It, it kind of all starts up front with them, and they're like. I, I can't remember what it was, but like OU ran, you know, 28 first down plays and, and basically half of them went for no gain or a loss. And that's, I mean, that's on the off. Like I, I give tip your cap to Baylor for sure, but the offensive line definitely left some stuff on the field there. Um, I, I thought they were bad. I, I thought they played, like I said, I, I thought they played by far their worst game of the season. And I, I, the way that they played kind of matches up the rhetoric from the early part of the season. That that was bad offensive line play. Just quick defense of Spencer Rattler. I think the first sack of the game, I, I think that was probably more on Jeremiah Hall because he got he got totally blown by by Jalen Petrie. That was just a, that was uh, a really and, nice and, play. And Rattler had no shot. But Jalen Petrie is, I, I, he he flashed on tape in the games I watched before the OU uh, the OU game. Uh, he looked really good. He had a couple pick sixes, but he 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 didn't look. Any, I mean, he, that was the best I've seen him. Granted, I haven't watched every Baylor game, but he was great. I mean, he was awesome on Saturday night. Um, He's pretty explosive. That, that, like, that that was kind of the, you know, within, like, a couple of long strides after he got past Hall. I mean, he was already he was already there on Rattler. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe that's why you just kind of tip your cap to a good player. Um, but, I mean, there yeah, there was other times where Rattler just, like, he, he could not sense where the pressure was coming from. There were times where he stepped up in the wrong direction, um, and and just kind of and and artificially just cut off half the field when he didn't have to. Um, yeah, and, and and I know like I know we're talking about the offensive line right now, but I mean I, I thought that was clearly Spencer Rattler's worst game of the season. Um, he he was very confused. If, if there's if, if there's one thing that I'm going to take away from this game, and maybe that's going to give me some pause, make me a little concerned, it was his play. Um, and, and if I you know. If you recall earlier in the season, I, I can't remember exactly what game it was, but I made the comment, I think the best way to defend this OU offense is to rush three and drop eight and, and force Spencer Rattler to make, you know, to make decisions into tight windows and maybe just nickel and dime you down the field because I'm not sure that he's willing to do it. And Baylor may have proved me right on, on Saturday. And, and I'm hoping that he's a, he's a quick learner and realizes you know, that, that you can't have the home run on every single play. Um, I'm not going to say that this was happening the entire game, but there were dudes underneath who were open in that game and that he just didn't throw the ball to. Um, I'm not saying it, it didn't happen on every play. It wasn't all the time, but um, there was definitely some things there that him and Lincoln Riley can iron out before Saturday and before a Big 12 championship game um, because you know you're going to see lots of, lots of rush three and drop eight against Iowa State. That's what they do. Yeah, and, and I think, Rattler has not seen a defense fully like that yet this season and he's always been an incredibly aggressive player and it works out perfectly for the Oklahoma offense because Lincoln Riley wants to take shots he wants to to hit explosive plays and that's great we want him to do that too it's it's the first time really all year where, where Rattler as the game went on it was clear that he needed to take what the defense gave him and once or twice he he did but he still tried to make the play, and that's just a learning experience. And, and hopefully, he he's a, a guy that I know he's still really young. But hopefully, he takes the film to heart and he sees it and he understands what Baylor was trying to do to him. And also, at, at the same time, and we haven't really talked about this much, uh, he he's got to ha- have a little bit more help from his uh, his wide receivers. They need to 
get a little bit more separation, get open. Maybe the play calling is a little, needs to get a little bit better. Um, but, uh, I, you know, Baylor's scheme was a mixture of zone and man. Oklahoma State plays a lot of man, and that, I mean, we talked about that before the Oklahoma State game. That was going to be a problem for Oklahoma State, and it was really easy to figure out and, and beat and, and call plays to beat. The, the way Baylor was playing zone and man with really good secondary play, that made it really difficult for Oklahoma to throw the football. Uh, that secondary, like we talked about it last week. I mean, Baylor's dudes this season are in the secondary. And after Saturday, uh, it's clear that they've still actually got some guys up front too a little bit as well. And uh, even though I'm, I'm defending the offensive line more uh, than, than really anybody, I, I will say to your point and to probably everybody else's point and, and why the offensive line didn't play as well as, as it could have played is because Baylor's front played really, really physical. And I think that is what surprised Oklahoma's offensive line so much. They got out-muscled up front, which in turn, it, that got them beat. And in the running game, I saw the backside defensive ends aggressively attacking that GT counterplay. I saw Baylor linebackers tackling well, and I always saw a safety flying up into the box and run support, which is very similar to what we saw from Kansas State early on in the year. They always seemed like they had a safety coming up and run support in the box to tackle. And when Ramondre Stevenson wasn't there and the offensive line was still getting getting going, it, it was very good for Kansas State. It was tough for Oklahoma to run the football. Uh, yeah, Baylor's safeties were phenomenal in that game. Uh, and, and Ramondre, you talked about him earlier, he looked a bit hesitant. I don't think he was seeing things as well for the first time all year long. And you mentioned he looked slow. He never really had a chance to get out and run. He, he was bottled up for the most part all night long. I think the first – he had a, a decent run, I think, early on in the first drive. His second run of the game where, went for 15. Yeah. It was an actually a nice little uh, play. They ran a – it was kind of like a little like trap variation of the GT counter, uh, which I thought was like a really kind of a clever little thing. And I, I don't – think they ran it again the rest of the game at least that i saw um but i mean no it was a they didn't they just looked bad the run game looked bad the entire night they they there was one run that would that looked that looked pretty and you know Ramondre's you know second run of the game was pretty but then you know pleasure had kind of his long 20 yarder in the i think that was in the third quarter or the fourth quarter um but that was but that was really the only gt counter play the entire game that baylor didn't aggressively attack and and that's what happened they, well actually they, 20 yards no they 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 did on the back side but the reason why that play worked and that was i think that that may if not the best probably the top top two run of the year for tj play that was a great run by tj pleasure it was blocked up very well but he did a good job of following his blocks the reason why that worked so well is that they had the two back set and Ramondre blocked down on the defensive end the backside defensive end so they had no chance to get to pledger so they had that guy taken care of a lot of the times when oklahoma runs that gt counter there's nobody on that backside defensive end so it's up to spencer rattler to read that guy and if he's crashing hard he's got to pull it and a couple times he didn't pull it and hung pledger and ramondre out to dry he did pull it once or twice one of them he had open grass in the second half but he only got seven yards uh he he couldn't make a safety miss in the open field and Oklahoma couldn't get the first down on that drive and ended up kicking a field goal. So that we can get to that later when we talk about Spitzer Rattler. He's, he's just his his uh, his limitations in the running game of of him being able to run as well as the last three Oklahoma quarterbacks. I think also made it a little bit more easy for Baylor's defense because they didn't really have to really worry about Rattler at all in the Thing running. Thing is, game. though, yeah, I, and you know, I 
an athletic quarterback and a quarterback who can run, obviously you, you, you prefer to have it, you love to have it because that helps, especially with numbers in the run game. But like, I, I don't, you know, Spencer Rattler not being a, a, a massive run threat, that should not mean that this run game is just completely shut down. I mean, Mac Jones is a statue at Alabama and they run the ball just fine. So, like, I mean, it's... Um, I, I'm just saying, like, that, that whole yeah, backside pull can't they be everything. A- Right, I'm not saying they need that. I'm just saying that it uh, it's it's been there when it hasn't. It, it's been there for Lincoln Riley for the most part, uh, the last three years. Last I guess ever since he's been here, because I think I mean I think Baker's got some. I mean especially in college, Baker can move. Uh, granted, they don't. He never really pulled it a whole lot. He did every once in a while, and every you know they they'd run that cool little uh, quarterback draw like GT counter design with the quarterback, and he loved running that with Kyler all the time uh you don't see that with spencer rattler i think maybe once they've ran it this year uh i don't even know if it was on accident i mean the best rattler looked was against oklahoma state when he made that guy miss in the open field but that didn't happen against baylor but i don't want to talk on that about, about that right now i just i have a couple more points of what i saw i mean on third down in that game baylor was great on third down uh over and over they they showed five six seven players at the line of scrimmage they were disguising a lot at the line of scrimmage and then what they do is they'd They'd rush three, they'd drop eight. Then maybe they'd send a delayed blitzer, so they'd end up rushing four. They'd, they'd, they'd rush four, but they'd drop one of the players off the line, and they'd rush the fourth guy from a different angle, from a different spot. Uh, very creative by Dave Aranda. And it was very confusing, and Oklahoma rarely was able to counteract it. And in the second half, especially on third down, they came after Spencer Rattler. They sent the house on third down. And it worked. I mean, they'd send seven guys, and Oklahoma would only have five or six to block, and the extra rusher would always get there. And, I mean, Baylor had four sacks, like I talked about earlier. So I think there's a reason Oklahoma's offense didn't play very well, and it's because Baylor's defense was fantastic on Saturday at every single level of the defense. And fortunately for Oklahoma, Baylor's offense at best, at best on a great day, is average, and Oklahoma's defense isn't a clown show this season, even when they had multiple starters out. If that wasn't the case, Oklahoma in recent years, they lose that football game. They lose that game, but it's crazy that the defense is what ends up saving Oklahoma that's why, in that game. That's why I'm not going to take this game for granted, and I'm not, really, I'm not really panicking too much. That was a game that, you know, in the early to mid-2000s, all throughout the 2000s, that you saw a lot from Oklahoma. Like, that, that was a game that was played a bunch of times in 2001 and 2002 2006 especially that game was played a lot where just one like one of like either the offense kind of sputtered or the defense wasn't great and some they're a good football team and so they're a well-rounded football team so like you know one side of the ball struggles and the other side picks them up and like I just I'm knowing just how well or uh, how well prepared Baylor was going to that and I know that they've only won two games this season but that's why that that is a game that Oklahoma you know, if if the offense would have been shut down like that, that's a game that Oklahoma would have lost in 2016, 2017, and 2018, maybe even last season too. Um, and that, and at no point in time during that game, I watched the entire thing. Did I ever feel like that game was in jeopardy? As soon as they went up ten to nothing, that game was over. It was over. And I, I for how poorly they played on offense. They were worse offensively in that game than they were in 2015 Texas, and that's saying a lot. Um, and the fact that they were still able to win by double digits comfortably without any stress at all, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of savor that a little bit. 
And I just, I know, I know that they know they didn't play very well or they can at least play better. And I think I, I think the chances that they have a really good week of practice and they come out and play really well against West Virginia, I think there's a really good chance of that after this game. And so that's, that's kind of why I think it's a blessing in disguise. I mean, that was that's about as well-prepared as an opponent uh, can possibly be. That they, Baylor, th- Baylor, you know, left that game, they shot everything they had. That, that w- they threw everything they had at Oklahoma, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter at all. And OU was down a lot of dudes. And so, you know, I'm, I just, I, I'm, I'm going to take it. Lincoln Riley got his butt kicked in that game, schematically, intellectually, and it didn't matter because he had better players. And, and I just, I, I don't think the odds are very good that Lincoln Riley is going to get his butt kicked schematically like that in back-to-back games. It's just not, chances are just, are really bad. <laughs> yeah, I don't find anything of what you just said to be wrong. I agree with all of it. Well done. I think uh, your opening take was, was spot on. I think uh, it's, it's really important to point out that that game, even though it was a ho-hum, like I, you mentioned, you mentioned to me off the air that, I mean, it was, it was boring. I mean, the fourth quarter, you're falling asleep. And that was the most boring like OU game. game. I've ever I've I've but, witnessed since I've be, I've become a fan. That's the most boring OU game, and like I'm 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 trying to not take it for granted. Like I said, like I think it was that is a game. Well, all the reasons you gave is is a great reason why you can't, and and actually why how, why it's a very meaningful game, and and why it's a, it's good they got out with a win. Is the them winning that too. game shows progress. They they're like this this program has made a lot of progress, and we haven't even gotten in to the defense and just and the guys that they were missing, and and how just it didn't even. They were missing three starters from the secondary in this game, and the secondary played really well on Saturday night. Like Charlie Brewer had to throw it f- like fifty-five times to get to two hundred yards passing. That's crazy. Well, it's a great transition, and we'll get into our three-word reviews. And Justin from Facebook will uh, tee us up for a defensive discussion because his his uh, first of many three-word reviews is great defensive performance. And um, let's see, his next one is no Buki antics with an exclamation point. Brendan Radley Hiles is one of the starters who was out. Uh, also from Justin, offense really struggled. We've gone over the offense already a little bit. Good Baylor defense, another one of his three-word reviews. More from Justin, Big 12 championship. Of course, now Oklahoma has clinched a Big 12 championship spot. We haven't even brought that up yet, but, I mean, you all know that already. And uh, lastly from justin stay locked in and oh actually his last one is forced multiple turnovers so some some good mixture there from justin uh but defense is where we're going to discuss right now and yeah so the starters they were out they didn't have pat fields they didn't have well the free safety position was decimated they didn't have the top two guys they didn't have pat fields or justin Broyles. woody washington was out from uh from corner and and buki buki was the other one out so the starting defense uh, up front was all good. They, they oh, granted, they, they didn't have Nick Benito. So Nick Benito was missing too, which missing Nick Benito, I think, was a big factor in the sense that if Nick Benito's there, I, you know, I, I think Baylor probably only scores one touchdown, not two, maybe, maybe none. I, and granted, Oklahoma did get kind of lucky that Baylor's kicker, for some reason, came up short on two not short field goals, but not too terribly long field goals, but that's neither here nor there. But the defense was Perkins, Thomas, Winfrey, and John Michael Terry up front. Deshaun White, David Ogbuebu started at linebacker. And then you get into the secondary, and you got Jaden Davis, who Jaden Davis, I think that's 
the first time we've seen him in a while. Did he did he play Bedlam? I don't remember him in Bedlam. He wasn't in was Bedlam. He, he was uh I think he was presumed out. I he was a presumed COVID casualty, I believe. Okay, so it was good to see Jaden Davis back. So with Woody Washington out, at least they got Davis back. So uh, we, we like Jaden Davis. Uh, and Trey Brown was healthy. He was there, not COVID impacted. And uh, then you have Jeremiah Cradell. So we, we did get Cradell starting at nickel for Buki. Uh, Delarian Turner, yell was healthy. Hey, and he kind of – and, and, and uh, I'm going to say this, and, and you know maybe we have to kind of pump the brakes because of the opponent, but – I think for the first time this season, DTY looked like 2019 DTY at times, and that's very I mean that's game. only good. That's 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 that he can had a only very be good. Good game. He uh, he did it all. He he didn't have a whole lot of opportunities in pass coverage, but when he did, he looked good, and he made his money in that game coming up and flashing and stopping the run and just playing aggressive, like like you saw on tape all the way back before he even played a snap at Oklahoma. Grant, that's that's the way he plays. Uh, but the the crazy. The crazy starter at free safety was Robert Barnes. And before the game, I saw that he was warming up with the secondary. Not in my wildest dreams, obviously, would I imagine that he would have played uh, free safety. Or, and also, I wouldn't have imagined he'd started. I, I would have guessed he would have been, you know, depth for, for I, I, I guess, maybe depth behind Trey Norwood. I figured Norwood would start at free safety. I figured that, that Cradell would be at nickel. I figured that in a pinch... They'd get Barnes in there if they really, you know, needed to get DTY out of there for a few snaps. But I figured it'd be just kind of like last year when DTY basically played every single snap. I, I figured, you know, the stars would play every single snap. But true to Alex Grinch, what he tried, he played guys. He got guys out there, and he they Robert Barnes got a bunch of snaps. DJ Graham got a bunch of snaps. Uh, everybody got a bunch. Trey Norm got a bunch of snaps. Can we like let's just say like I I everyone in the secondary on Saturday night was was good to very good um and you know i yeah that's awesome like that's awesome and you know like i the the one thing that i'm kind of starting to realize you know baylor's offense is is not good their their receivers are certainly not i think what we thought they were going into that game their receivers aren't very good um I, but I, still I actually, they have some decent receivers i yeah i, I, I kind of thought they did but they weren't pretty solid they weren't they they couldn't really get open against ou's you know guy i mean and I know, like one of those guys was Trey Brown. I know he's been around forever, but he couldn't get open against the likes. I mean, Robert Barnes and Jeremiah Cradell have not really played a whole ton. I mean, Cradell's played quite a bit, but you got they couldn't even take advantage of a linebacker playing safety. And I know that's I, I know that's <laughs> Barnes's you know normal position, but um, they couldn't do that. Hey, by the way, like you know Barnes certainly looked like he has put on the pounds to play linebacker when he was back there, uh, but like I. I yeah, I saw enough to think that he should going forward. He should be Pat Fields' main backup at free safety, just just because I I, I like his size in there in the box. Um, he 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 made a play kind of down, um, when uh, when Baylor was deep inside their own territory, kind of near the goal line. He came up and he was the one. He was one on one against the running back. He was the one guy there who needed to make the play, and he made the play. And I, I know he, it was kind of an arm tackle, and he went by him, but. I don't know. Like, I'm not super confident that Justin Broyles makes that play. Oh, I, th- I think Broyles has been been fine. I, I I'm been not fine. as he's been fine. I just I'm not as bullish on Barnes because of what you said a moment ago. I mean, Baylor doesn't have really the ability to stretch anybody, 
And so I don't think he was ever really tasked with moving a whole lot in the secondary guess, and covering with that big old body he's got now. The whole, so like, I, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Like, I mean, I, I'm not saying you should throw him out there for 90% of the snaps or whatever. Um, but, like, against, like, Iowa State doesn't really push the ball downfield a whole lot. Like, it's like, I, I kind of feel like him being sort of a box safety would maybe be sort of an asset there. At least another guy you could maybe count on a guy who's going to make a tackle there and I mean, I'm just going to bring this up now in 2018 before Robert Barnes was murdered by Josh Jacobs he was <laughs> he was playing the best in that secondary he was the most consistent best player in that secondary in 2018 and that's not saying a lot that was one of maybe the worst power five defense in the country uh, but you know Barnes was was an okay player in 2018 playing that position uh, yeah, I mean, no, Barnes was fine back then. Yeah, and and he was okay. They, I, I, I probably, I, I've always had an affinity for Trey Norwood. I, Trey Norwood's always been good. So I, and he's playing well again this year. So yeah, as long he's, as he's healthy, he's, Norwood's been good this so, year. Nor, especially in the last, especially during this win streak, Norwood is a is a legit is a legit player in this conference. He is he is an why asset I to like Trey sure. Norwood is he, why I like Norwood is I think he is the best player in Oklahoma secondary at at covering I, th- I think he's the most football savvy he, he has the most awareness of like what teams are trying to do route wise he I think he sees things better than anybody else in the secondary when it comes to that and that's super important in the big 12 uh, what what always was a problem with him especially early on in his career he couldn't tackle he was so little he's gotten a little bit bigger he's, he's a little bit better at tackling now uh, and so I, th- I think he that's why like I have no problem with him anywhere. I mean, I he's I want him on the field, and I, so anyways, I I can't remember 2018 that much, but I I probably back then would have argued that nah, maybe Trey Norwood was better, but that secondary was not good. Uh, but yeah, Barnes was fine back then. He was he's never as good as I wanted him to be. I, I'm I'm the biggest forever has always been the biggest Barnes guy. I I thought he'd pop, and and um, but I I will say as even though I'm a little bit hesitant, he has definitely earned himself. More snaps, absolutely. And, until he shows otherwise, he he definitely deserves more snaps. Sure, absolutely. He should come Get back him out there. He should come back next year. Now, I know that's it's, I, and, who, and who knows how that's all going to shake out at the end of the year. But I I think he's a guy who should come back. Um, and we'll see. I don't know. Yep, we'll see. Uh, let's go more three word reviews. Let's go to Scotty on Facebook. Sooner Speed D. Uh, interesting one here. He says rather have defense. Interesting. Uh, and this one's interesting as well. Still missed Buki. So Scotty must have, uh, he, he, he wanted to see some Buki out there. Um, all right. But it's, uh, that, that's, I'll be honest with you. I didn't, rather have- I didn't notice his absence. I, I thought Jeremiah Cradell was completely absent in the best way. He, like, he, didn't, he didn't like flash or really make any great plays, but he, there were no busts that I saw. And, and the times where I, made a, where I made an effort to look what he was doing, I, he He's stuck on his guy like glue. And so, you know, I'll, I was a guy who was kind of like not feeling great about, you know, Jeremiah Cradell maybe getting like 80 snaps in a game. And I know he didn't play that much in this game, uh, but he was he was just fine, if not good on Saturday night. And I'm like, I'm I'm fired up about that. That's awesome because I, I Jeremiah, he's not going to unseat Buki. He's just not going to. Um, but I've got a whole lot more confidence in the guy behind Buki now. Well, that's good, and I mean, here's the thing. I mean, I I don't think Buki is a bad player. I just I whenever he's not in the game, I am I'm very confident that there's not going to be any sort of stupid, idiotic penalty 
some sort of off the ball dead ball penalty. And honestly, I'm I'm pretty certain that I mean he hasn't been as bad about this this year. Uh, but I'm pretty confident there's not going to be some just ridiculously boneheaded bust or like what are, what are you doing there? Which yes, he makes a lot more good plays that would be graded out as good or fair than he does negative plays. And I've I've never really said I don't think that that he does like it would be ridiculous. Like he he wouldn't be playing if he was just grading out a bunch of negative bad 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 plays. Uh, but my thing has always been he's he's not like Oklahoma can survive without him. But at the same time, like if he's just off the team, they're they're probably, as Lincoln Riley said, I mean, they're probably a slightly worse team, but he's not a make or break player. I don't think in the secondary. Um, but also, I mean, we d- like I, uh-huh. but still Baylor can't force the ball downfield. Exactly. They're, they're not. That's so it's the best like, defense. Just to, to pump the brakes a little bit, you know, Baylor Baylor struggled to move the ball on pretty much everyone this year. Sure, yeah, so, and that's the best defense. It's not like yeah, Baylor doesn't have the horses to, to necessarily exploit that absence. So you know, we'll wait, and the best, I fully oh. expect them to play this week. Yeah, man, I just uh-uh. the the further we get, like I'm trying to think, when's the last time I, I like I was impressed by Charlie Brewer dropping back and and throwing the ball? And it, it's got it has to be at least three seasons now. We're very far away from from him being a good college football player. He's a good competitor. Did- he there there are times when he makes good plays, but he is he is very limited physically, very limited, and I, he just he, he when, whenever he has to throw the ball, he's not that good. He just isn't. Well, here's the thing. I don't think he he's definitely more limited as a thrower. I don't think physically he's limited. I think he's a pretty athletic guy. And for some reason, we we disagree on this. Like you you don't think he's like I just don't fat. think he's a like great he's, athlete. I think he's a fine athlete. He's fine. I mean, I I think that's one of the, I think that's probably his best asset is his his like run pass option of, of like you have to be wor- I mean, that's why we were worried about him last year. Is like him him running because that was I I, I worry about I worry about him more just like in a like I don't know like he's he's kind of like uh he's kind of like that old like forty year old guy in a in a pickup basketball game who can still score or whatever he's not a good athlete but he's just for whatever reason he can like he knows how to pick his spots and like I'm not saying he's slow he's not a bad athlete he's just not he's he's, he's a limited solid athlete he's limited uh, did you see him hit that uh, that you know throw the ball about forty five yards in the air on the money. On the sideline to that one guy? See, Put he can literally throw the ball. everything he had. I think he had to crow hop to get it there. <laughs> uh, all right, Phillips got some three-word reviews. No, and I, I only bring that up just to say it's like, oh, you just, they, I mean, oh, you has not faced a a single good quarterback this season. Is, is Purdy the best quarterback they faced? And Purdy was awful in that game. Playing as he is right now? Brock Purdy is is playing some really good football, but yeah, he wasn't playing that football kind of out of nowhere. Oklahoma. Yeah, I was gonna say like his his good football did just kind of spring up out of nowhere. He was he was kind of holding Iowa State back up until the last month or so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean Oklahoma has no excuses. They they did not get a good Brock Purdy in Ames, and, and Oklahoma still lost the football game. Uh, Philip has a three word review. Defense won it. Uh, yeah, he's right. You're right, Philip. And it's we talked about it a little bit earlier. It's it's crazy. And Grant talked about how this is a a game that shows improvement, shows the program has gotten better, and it's, it's true. This team, like Grant said, 2016, 2017, 2018, maybe even last year, this team does not win that type of game with the way that offense played. Uh, Tim's three-word review on Facebook, blocking still matters. Um, Tyler's three-word review, <laughs> that was 2020. Yeah, weird game. 
super weird game. I, I mean, it's kind of a, a low com denominator way to describe it, kind of like a duh, but it's true. I mean, it, no, was, I mean, it was a very weird football game. It was, it was a weird game, but it's like it's not unprecedented. Um, going back in the way back machine now, I mean, that, that was a game to me that felt really similar to, I mean, crap, this game was 13 years ago. But in 2007, when Sam Bradford was a freshman, they went on the road to play Iowa State in Ames, and they won 17-7. to And that game was really similar to this one. Where it was just, actually, that game was probably closer than this one was. But it's just like, I mean, even when OU has, like, really great players historically, and, like, that 2017, they, they, they rolled out of bed and scored 40 on pretty much everyone. But just against Iowa State and Ames, lowly Iowa State, for whatever reason, they sucked. They were bad. And the defense got them through, and they won 17-7. to Like, I just, it's, uh, it's, that game was just really similar. Where it was just like clearly this defense is very prepared to to stop what OU wants to do, but it doesn't matter because the other offense is just is is stuck in gear too often because OU's defense is just like can we say OU's defense is good? It's a good defense. Like this is yeah, it is. Their their front seven, front six, front seven, their defensive linemen and their linebackers are really good, and uh, I, I I still think that if they were to face uh, kind of like a high flying passing attack with a competent quarterback, they'd probably they'd probably get kind of bent over a little bit. Uh, but I mean, with that front seven, they're going to be in pretty much. They can play with anyone with those guys. They're, there's there's not a whole lot of teams that are better than they are in the front seven. So here's a bit of a hot take, and the the front four, front five is, is very very good. At linebacker right now, Oklahoma is is okay. They're, they're they're to to maybe average. Um, they're not they're not Deshaun consistent White enough. Is having I, a is is, is 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 Deshaun White had a rough game. Uh, Brian Osamoa is is okay. He's I like Brian Osamoa a lot. I, I like uh, him in the run game. I I and he had a really nice job uh, knocking a ball down in, in in coverage in the first half in that game. I think so he's a credit. guy. I I think Brian Osamoa by by next season is is gonna be an All Big Twelve type guy. He's just he's too so. he's too good of an athlete. He's he's one of those guys, you know, when you talk about Jalen Petrie over at Baylor and just kind of how he just exploded towards Rattler on that one sack. Asamoah has that ability just to kind of explode through guys and just sort of like, whoa, where did that come from? Yeah. Um, it's just you know he's just not very consistent at this point in time, and he's one of those guys that you hope and kind of put it all together with a full real off season where they can actually be in a program and whatnot. And um, but no, I think. Um, I think they're, that that three man rotation they have right now is they're they're not consistent enough there yet, but they're good enough with that three man rotation where I think any combination of those guys is pretty salty. Um, I, I I think the best combination right now is is Osimo and White out there together because I I'm starting to agree with you with Aguebu he's a little slow and not 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 great covering the middle of the field. Yeah, um, I, just, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what David Ogwebu really does. I, he he doesn't he doesn't move very well. And this is the speed D where you're supposed to be fast, fast, fast. Uh, and they, they have him. I, he just kind of seems like he's playing out of position to me. It's almost like he yep. should be. He should be. He should he, be. It's almost jack. like he should be like, yeah, like like where John Michael Taylor, like like a rush linebacker. But type. you know, you gotta. The problem with that is, and and I think I, I think they may have. They may have explained this kind of in the early part of the season or not, but I, you're, Nick Benito is is maybe your best player on defense, and he's playing Jack. So it's, um, you know, I I think a lot of that is probably they're just trying to get their dudes on the field. Oh, that's right, that's right. 
I'm, I'm, that's a great callback. Yeah, because I, I do remember that. Um, the whole idea was, yeah, because they, they had Benito there and that they, they really like Abuebu and they're like, oh, how do we get this guy in the field more? And he's not going to play as much if he's behind Benito. So, yeah, I, you're exactly right about that. I but, yeah, I mean, Ag- Aguebu is legit. And this defense is legitimately the size of a defensive end. I mean, he's huge. He's a really big guy. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see kind of how it shakes out. It, would, it wouldn't surprise me in the least bit if he's not, if, if, if he's kind of moved back to the front at some point in time in his career. But I, you can't, I mean, you, you can't argue with the experience that he's gotten there. And it's not like he's not like he's been bad or anything he hasn't no yeah i'm, I'm not yeah. seeing any sort of glaring like oh my gosh that was he hasn't been like exploited like at all so i mean it's no. just but yeah you're right he, he looks a little slow at times um but so does Deshaun white too uh brian osamoa does not he moves very well all right so we have one more on facebook from harry thanks a lot for the three word review harry another title run and uh, as we move over to twitter my coworker Steve McGee, he has a very similar three-word review to Harry. Steve's is another title chance. Uh, as we get later in the show, we'll, we'll talk about the West Virginia game coming up, and then maybe a little bit about Iowa State. Have you finally, we'll uh, finally come 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 around to the? It's 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 still worth it to play for the Big Twelve title, like because I know I, I know you were kind of like ah, if it's not the national championship, I don't really care. Um, but you kind of starting to come around on that where it's it's still. Like that Big Twelve title streak is really important, and it's still important to win the Big Twelve. Because I, I mean, I, I knew as soon as they lost to Iowa State that the Big Twelve was still in play, and that yeah. that's yeah, that's what I cared about. Um, I, I get what you're asking, and yeah, I, in the past I said like I've said I just want national titles. The Big Twelve is assumed because it's Oklahoma, and even though that's a homer, like so, like don't take it for granted mindset. Sorry, that's the way it is. I mean, Oklahoma's expected to win it every year. That's just that's how it is. That's the, uh, but so I, I get what you're saying. Uh, if let's say if Oklahoma, yeah, yeah, obviously a Big Twelve title is, is important in a year where they've lost two games. If the Big Twelve was super down this year and Oklahoma had lost three or four games and they didn't, they weren't showing much improvement, but still made the title game. Like, no, I, I don't, I, yeah, I, I don't think I'd be that. I, I wouldn't care that much. But the reason why this is so interesting is because all, of, all the things we've talked about since Oklahoma was one and two and what they could be. We knew that they had all these tools and they were going to get players back. We knew that Rattler was going to keep getting better. And we just wanted to see improvement, improvement, improvement. And Oklahoma has improved. And so what's come with that is a, is a long winning streak and a chance to win a Big 12 title and to play an extra game, obviously, with the Big 12 title. So, yeah, I mean, that's that makes that has made this season interesting and more fun than it otherwise would have been. But I don't know. I, I think I think last night's game just kind of goes to show you how hard it is to win a conference championship. Even then, you, you're still of the mind that we're recording the day after the game. Grant. Did I do, the game, I the game was that. like a week ago. Yeah, the game on like Saturday. I know. The game on Saturday just showed you how hard it is to win a Big Twelve championship, um, and like, and it's been like this for at least the last four or five seasons. But the Big Twelve, there's some really good coaches in this conference, and yeah. there's there's some stuff you see in this conference that you're not going to see any other places. There's there's a lot of like th- this conference kind of introduced the the high level open spread offenses to college football, and it's also and this is where a lot of the innovation on defense is happening too. And like all of the stuff that you see on Sundays that works against the spread, all the stuff that you see that that works against the big bad spread teams in college football, it all originates in the Big Twelve. And there, there's there's a lot of good good coaches here, and it's uh, it's it's just it's not a given. And like I, I'm pumped. Like I'm pumped. They're back in the 
the championship game. Like it was, it was really important to me coming into this season that they were going to be able to defend their Big Twelve title, and I'm I'm glad they're going to have an opportunity to do it. All right, next we will review. We're over to Twitter now. Is uh, Joey Helmer from OU two four seven? Appreciate Joey jumping in with some th- a, th- a three word review of his own. He says, "Be better, twenty twenty one." Yes, we can all we can all hope that uh, this this year is not great. Uh, this year does not continue, but uh, you know we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, who's also, to say that twenty twenty one is going to be even even worse than twenty twenty? Uh, you know. Also, de- <laughs> depending on this, this could be very hot takey. Uh, depending on kind of what shakes out with people coming back, leaving or whatever. I mean, I don't know what Brock Purdy is going to do. Um, wouldn't surprise me at all if Baylor is is going to be the team that's competing with OU next year for the Big 12 title. Wouldn't surprise me in the least bit. wonder what Baylor's got in the quarterback front coming. That would be, the, yeah, that's the kind of the one thing that's that you would. Uh, but, I, I mean, I, I know a lot of pieces are back from that defense that looked really well prepared and... Uh, that's just that's just a really well coached team, um, and I know this conference is down, so it just it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all if they just if they find a little bit of magic on offense to see Baylor just kind of shoot up, I mean, kind of up the list there. They're they are not far behind the third place team in the Big Twelve right now. Like they're just not. Yeah, no, Baylor's got a lot of potential. That's yeah, for sure. I, I'm I'm, and, I'm straight uh, up and, going and to Randall pick them nice to coach, beat man. Oklahoma State this weekend this week. So. Yeah, that's that's not a hot take. I think I'll, I mean anybody that's paying attention is going to probably be similar to that. Oklahoma State is 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 really struggling right now. Uh, I mean they are. Yeah, we'll see about that. Um, all right, so more three word reviews from Twitter. Let's go to Skip. Ugly, ugly win. But then he follows it up with still a win. True. Uh, Rattler seemed rattled. And I think we talked a little bit about Rattler. It's just he he got a lot of different looks thrown at him. Credit to Baylor. And I, I don't know if we've touched on this yet. I, Rattler is such an aggressive player. And he, at times, needs to have the ability to just take what the defense gives him. And he didn't necessarily do that in that game. Like, for example, there was the shot he took down the middle of the field to Drake Stoops in a double coverage. And Stoops did a great job of, of flashing in and just get some, a piece of that football. If not, that ball might have been intercepted. And that was in plus territory. I think that was a third down play. Uh, was that? Yeah, I think that was third down. I, the, he had time to throw in that situation, and I, I don't know. He just wanted to take a shot because I think he was probably frustrated. He's like, eh, I'm going to take a shot here. He had Ramondre Stevenson in the flat with room to run, and it would have taken their quarterback coming up to make a one-on-one tackle with Ramondre to prevent a first down. I, I mean, Baylor tackled extremely well all night, but I'll take that with Ramondre over – a double coverage attempt to Drake Stoops with you know that Baylor secondary playing so well so stuff like that where he just he 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 hasn't really had to take the check down he hasn't had to had to be in position to take what the defense gives him that's something that will have to be part of his repertoire moving forward depending on the type of defense that he's going against more from Skip defense was great more from Skip OL was not offensive line was not great yep uh, another penalty touchdown. So uh, we haven't talked about this yet. Uh, OU gets off the field, gets Baylor off the field. I think they went for it on fourth down. Perrion Winfrey gets a bull rush sack of Charlie Brewer, but Marker Stripling lined up in the neutral zone. Free first down, very next play, 
Brewer with a touchdown pass to, uh, I believe it was Tyquan Thornton. And Thornton uh, looks like he got away with a, a push-off, which we, we've talked about this off the air. Um, I, I, because there's like, yes, there, there was a push-off. Sure, by the letter of the law, it probably could have been a penalty. Should have been. But I, I'm not that bothered by the non-call. I, I think it was kind of, uh, you know, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. It didn't bother me that much. Like, I would hope that Oklahoma would get away with something like that. But I, I, I'm not going to say that it wasn't a penalty. I, I certainly agree that it, it, there was a push-off. I'm more of just annoyed by it. It's just, it's just an annoying thing. Because one, you have a completely preventable penalty from from Marcus Stripling, and um, I actually hadn't gone back to rewatch that play until just today while we're recording this. And he was so extremely offsides that it was like it was. How do you do that if you're on the defense? Like how? Like can't you look across and realize that your that half of your body is past the ball? Yeah, I. That's a good question. I, no, I remember it, one time when I was in high school, I I played corner. And I remember one time, I don't know how it happened, but I actually lined up like off, like I lined up offsides and got flagged for it. And I was just like, what? <laughs> like, how did like because obviously it's one of those things where the flag comes out when the play happens and the ref's like, yeah, you, you, you're you're like standing in the neutral zone. I was like, oh, well, I'm an idiot. All right. Well, that never happened again. So, I mean, I I, I can't be, I mean, I'm not going to be somebody that's going to say it's, it's crazy because it happened to me one time in a very low level version of football. But, uh, yeah, it, it is. I mean, when you're closer to the football like he is, maybe it's it, you shouldn't get that kind of leeway. I mean, I was so far away from the ball, I, I couldn't – I mean, I just really was excited to get that jam on that guy, Grant. I really wanted to get that jam in, I, that, and that's what it was. Anyways, that, so, yeah, it, it, it is frustrating. I agree because it was a very preventable penalty. Yeah, it's just, it's just frustrating. And, and just the um, – yeah, and just the very next play, still fourth down. Um, like, you can – you're not that bothered by it, but I just – I. Wait no, I mean, it was it was a no, it was it was it was an automatic first down. I thought no, it was it was fourth and eight, and then fourth and three. Brewer oh. was sacked on fourth and eight, and then it was negated by penalty. It was fourth down again, fourth and three, um, and then so it just that's wow. just annoying to me. And uh, the it was it was textbook OPI. I, I I just I'm I don't know what OPI is if that's not OPI. Um, he he was he. Uh, he had his arm fully extended, keeping Jaden Davis away from his body, and then he pushed off to to get the very last bit of separation. Um, and like I, I don't think it was the most egregious OPI ever, but it, it very clearly was. And it's just it's annoying that they didn't call it on fourth down and they scored a touchdown on it. It's annoying. Very much. And not well, that, and skips. it's 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 like not one of those things where it's like in, it's like throwing a flag there. It doesn't really bail out Jaden Davis. I mean, it was. That was it was a scramble drill. The guy the guy was 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 supposed the guy was going to be a decoy. He was there to run a screen, and then in a scramble drill, I actually drill, think just, that was the. You think that was the I, design? I actually play? think that was the play design. Yeah, I think that was actually the play design. Oh my gosh! Yeah, a, I, I no because I, I, I despise that play design if that's what it was. I thought it was a great because it's I've never seen anything like it because you immediately you roll Brewer to the right, which immediately is a corner. It's man coverage. You're like their quarterbacks running, like rolling away. So like you're gonna let your guard down slightly, and you get the receiver just making one move, and then boom, you have separation. I mean that's a that's an easy throwback play. I mean I I I'm pretty sure that was the play design. It was like a it was a very somewhat creative. I, should, I said very and then somewhat. It was a somewhat creative 
throwback pass play design, I believe. Because I, I didn't see anything else developing on the front side of that formation. I but, just like, I, I don't, uh, what a, pl- I mean, a play, so much can go wrong there for that to be the design of the play. I, I whatever, I don't know. Well, it's a, it's a, it's something where it's fourth down. Um, granted, I guess you can get, I mean, it's only three yards, but the thought process is, all right, well, this is either going to be incomplete or intercepted or a touchdown. So whatever. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a shot play. And I thought it was kind of interesting. I, I think that's what it was. I think it was a shot play designed to go to that backside receiver. And I kind of want to watch it again, honestly. But actually, I, I, I got it up right now. I'm watching it. Okay, so he had a, he had a guy running a quick three-yard out at the sticks. But he immediately looks back to the backside of the formation. So I don't know. I, I think that was, you know, it, maybe it was his second read. Probably Maybe a, the yeah. first read is that front side out, quick little out route. If that's not there, boom, backside to the, I guess, technically a double move to the receiver going deep, and it worked out. Uh, All right, more. Yeah. No, it, it, it sucks. Uh, okay, Skip's last three-word review on Twitter is congrats to Beamer. Yes, congrats to Shane Beamer, the new head coach at South Carolina. Uh, I, I mean, he's a, a great dude. As far as we know, he's never... He's never been a coordinator. Uh, this is, and I know he, he was an assistant at South Carolina for, for three, four years, something like that. So he knows the area. He knows the program. Interesting. I mean, that's going to be a tough, tough job. I mean, I, you're, you're recruiting against Clemson. You're recruiting against Georgia. You're recruiting against the entire SEC. At least you're in the East. Uh, you don't have to worry about playing against Bama every year. But you got to face Georgia. You got to face uh, Florida, who's starting to play a lot better. That's, that's a tough gig. So we'll see. Yeah, I don't really, uh, I don't have a ton of thoughts on Shane Beamer. Right. Um, you know, it's, it was, it was, a, it was a really good hire when it happened. Uh, clearly, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's put at least a bit of an imprint on this program. Um, we'll see. I don't know. That's one of those things where it's like you don't, you don't know what you have until he's gone. But also at the same time, there's no, I mean, there's no, it's, it's not a shoe in that that Lincoln Riley isn't going to make another great hire here. So I, I'm, I just, I, I'm kind of just letting this one play out. I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know who like the, you know, the special teams and H back coaches are in the country who are going to be able to come in. I, I mean, oh, I don't know. Yeah. yeah I, I have no idea. Yeah. I, I haven't even thought about who they're going to, but you know, I, I, I know it's, it's a good thing. To me like, it's neither here nor there. It, it's a good thing that, that, you know, sec programs are coming to poach from their staff. That means they got a good staff. Um, I know that's not really high level analysis, but uh, yeah, good for Shane Beamer. All right, at MJM five seven two on Twitter, missed Beamer plus Baus Boss B A U C E. Do you know what that means? Uh, it's supposed to be uh, Beatenbow, but he was there. Uh, they they were saying on um. I don't on think that's supposed to be Beatenbow. <laughs> missed Beamer is, is plus Baus. Yeah, Beatenbow. That's kind of his. That's like the the. That's the that's, that's kind of like the message that's the message board kind of like nickname that oh, people. Oh really? Yeah, he was definitely there. I saw him on the field. Yeah, on uh, the pre-game. TV broadcast, they were speculating that maybe he wouldn't be there, but he was. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah like no, I, 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 I yeah I saw him on I saw him on you know on the screen like midway through like the first half. So, but yeah, I was wondering whether or not he was there or not. All right, next on Twitter, this is from Ned and Ned. You've been listening this entire time. You've been waiting for this because. Uh, apparently we dished you on Facebook. We didn't get to your three-word reviews before. 
I'm going to guess that you posted after we started recording the show, so we didn't see your three-word reviews, it was, or it was too late by the time we saw them, so um, apologies for that. So now we'll get to your three-word reviews for this game, and you have lots of them. Baylor brought pressure. We've gone over that a little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, they did. Uh, offense was rusty. Defensive pressure, exceptional. Ramondre bottled up. Yeah, I mean, that, that, was, uh, not, that was not good. Very surprising. Um, Lincoln takes responsibility. Six championship appearances. Uh, and the last one, drop passes problematic. And uh, let's, let's stop there. And there was one, Jeremiah Hall dropped a pass on. Uh, that was 100% uh, was, was Don Spencer Rattler. Yeah, it I was, mean it was it was not an easy catch. It was but a it was terrible a ball throw. That, yeah, I mean it was, but I mean do you, do you expect Jeremiah to catch that? Um, still not easy though. Um, you got Ramondre who dropped I one over the middle that was tipped and intercepted. Let me uh, let me bring this up uh, just just while it's in, on my head. I think like those little those little pop passes and the RPOs is is kind of that that is the. That's what you should do against this Baylor defense. That's how you, that's how you run an offense against a defense like that, is with the pop passes and the RPOs and the, and I'm like I don't Spencer Rattler is not is not great on those RPOs. He just isn't. Well, the thing is they they ran them though and they, they weren't working. I mean that that was the play call on the Braden Willis touchdown that should have been intercepted. It was a RPO pop pass to Braden Willis, but it was defended perfectly and the guy just dropped the pick. Oh, I guess, yeah. I mean, it was the same on the uh, similar. The Ramondre had one. It hit him right in the hands, and that resulted in a pick. So, and that, you know, I think that could have, you know, Ramondre catches that with a full head of steam. He might score there. So, it's, I mean, yep. it's kind of like, yeah, those th- those two plays kind of canceled each other out. They were like the exact same play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the, the, the most, I think, uh, obvious drop was another drop touchdown pass from Theo Weiss. Theo is uh man he's three got three or four of them this year. Uh, yeah, at least I think four is probably a good number there. Probably, I, mean, I think he's dropped more than he's scored. And uh, I mean For sure. For I thought sure. it was a good throw. I thought it was a pretty good throw from Spencer. Oh. It was kind of an awkward awkward position, kind of catch kind of like low, but I mean he he put the ball in a spot where Theo could catch it, I think. It hit him right in the hands. It was a perfect throw. It was perfect. It was all on Theo. Yeah, I mean, so that's that's Theo. Not great. Uh, you know, um, Theo's got to get better. He needs to get better. And um, thing is that, like, we we you see the the flashes of it. You see kind of like his I'm talking about, like you, you see the flashes of his talent, like his hands. You remember the uh, the two point conversion against Texas. Uh, you see his length a lot of the time. You even see like sometimes where he can in the Baylor game last season. His kind of sh- you know his. He's catching the flat and he shakes two guys and and is able to outrace everyone in the end zone. I mean, you you see it there. He's just for whatever reason he hasn't been able to just completely put it all together like in a consistent bow. And um, maybe he's one of those guys that you really look for an entire off season. Him and him and Rattler throwing every single day, throwing the same route tree every day. Maybe maybe he'll he'll kind of make a make a jump, but um, his his momentum is kind of kind of deadened a little bit as the season has gone on. It kind of seemed like there was a while where he was poised to to really take over as maybe the main option on the offense, and that just really hasn't happened. Well, that Texas game, I mean, that was his peak. He was great in that Texas game, and it just it hasn't, hasn't been built off from there. And in a year think, when Trajan Bridges hasn't played a snap, 
which is disappointing. And then you got Jaden Hazel coming back from the ACL, and he had one catch. He had a third down, you know, first down conversion, but he still he must be a shell of himself. He's I, nowhere near back to what he used to be. Am I, I mean, crazy it's just, to think it's frustrating? That I think Weiss would be would be better in the slot. I, I think he'd be a better slot receiver, a possession guy, and not necessarily kind of like that outside you know guy that you rely on. Um, I, I think his kind of length and his big body and his ability to be a possession receiver would really show off better if he was if he was kind of more running routes out of the slot. And I know that's not super high level, uh, but I don't know. There's, See, I there's have a, a, a tough time with stuff like that because I know Lincoln Riley moves his players around all the time, and I'm not keeping track of how many snaps out of the slot or outside players are because I, I would bet that Theo Weiss is probably – had a, a a good amount of snaps from the slot this year. I, I mean, I I think he Riley moves his guys around so much. I think all the receivers play similar positions, and, and he's creative enough. I just Maybe yeah, I was I don't know. I mean, I just I was slightly I guess concerned. I don't, I don't pay attention to that that much. Slightly mm-hmm. concerned in that game, you know, especially with all the zone that Baylor was playing, that you just didn't really see a lot of receivers sitting down in the soft spots of the zones and trying to get open. You didn't see a lot of that at all. Yeah, that's and a it kind of makes me. Yeah, it's like, did. what's going on? I I don't. There were times when, like, I'm sorry. I mean, if, if Baylor's only rushing three guys, you got five seconds to throw. There's no excuse. You should be able to find a guy if they're playing zone. And well, I don't think there's any times they had five seconds, but yeah, there were times where he had two, three, and five so, might be a little four seconds. Yeah, to throw. overdoing it, but yeah, yeah. It's just that that's kind of that's a little concerning to me. Um, you know, where is the like? I, I I don't see it a lot of the times. Just kind of like their ability to to spread it out in four or five wide and maybe just send guys in motion to, to, to cue off the coverage for Rattler and then him just kind of throwing option routes and stuff like that. That doesn't really seem to be part of OU's offense. And I I think that would probably... that I, I think that kind of goes to Spencer Rattler's skill set. I think that, that kind of complements his skill set a lot better than maybe some of the stuff they're trying to run right now. And, you know, that's, that's, I'm just kind of throwing it out there to start a conversation. Well, a couple of things I noticed to try to counteract what Baylor was doing, and it didn't work all that well, was just quick little swing passes out to the edge to Theo and uh, Charleston Rambo one time, just because Baylor did play, you know, eight yard cushions, and you know they have so much confidence in their corners to come up and and make those tackles, and for the most part they did. Oklahoma didn't get a whole lot of yards off that. A couple times. Uh, waiting for the rush to get there and swinging it over to Ramondre Stevenson for yardage. He dropped one that was pretty annoying because he had running room there if he would have caught that pass. Uh, so I, the motion doesn't do a whole lot against that Baylor defense because they, they didn't show a lot of man. I mean, they, they didn't they didn't travel a lot with guys. They didn't play a whole lot of man. But all, but whenever they – it's almost like they, they play like a hybrid man zone type defense. It was, it was a really – and they can do that because they have a really – <laughs> strong amount of players in the secondary and and Jalen Petrie you can, he moved all over the field he rushes he plays in the box he plays deep I mean he's and then I think uh Christian Morgan number four had one of those sacks he 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 should have picked off he almost picked off Rattler whenever Rattler threw it into Braden Willis that he flat like that was a really dangerous throw uh, and just I mean back to kind of what you said at the start of the podcast it seems like I, you said this in terms of the the front and the offensive line thinking, man, they kind of know what we're doing. Baylor's defensive backs seem to just be reading everything, man. I mean, they, they were a step ahead of Oklahoma all night. It was really impressive. Yeah, I hope that, like I said, I mean, that was kind of part of my opening take as it. well. And I hope that yeah. I hope that wakes up Lincoln Riley. I hope that mm-hmm. hope that kind of that kind of sparks something within him to to not be flat caught flat footed like that again. And who knows, like I said, who knows how much 
just kind of the lack of preparation and the COVID stuff, you know, I, I, I don't know how much that impacted OU last week. So um, that's always out there too. And, you know, the last two drives that OU's, you know, offense was out there, they scored touchdowns. They scored touchdown in their last two drives. So maybe maybe that was OU. They, they were kind of starting to figure it out. Maybe if that game would have gone on for another quarter or two, OU maybe would have started putting it to them a little bit. You never know. Just to get maybe an explanation of what happened, Jeremiah Hall talked about it on Tuesday. He said that, well, one, personally thought it was probably one of his worst games since he's been at Oklahoma. Uh, he said that practice last week, he said it wasn't that bad, but he said that he thought that with the amount of players that were out, he thinks that during practice they kind of pulled back a little bit in terms of their physicality, and he said that the, the pace during the game, you, you could really see how that probably – is the reason why they were kind of surprised out there. And he's like, you know, typical, uh, he said, you, know, you can't just arrive on Saturday and expect things to go your way. If, if you didn't practice physically. And he thinks that they were just too casual in practice last week. And, and uh, so this week he said, they've stepped it up quite a bit. So that kind of goes to your point earlier about how you think that this week of practice, uh, the game will come up a bit. And, and yeah, I, I mean, that's maybe that's something you just really, it's, it's kind of tough to get around because yeah, I mean, you don't, when you when you have no idea how many guys are going to be available for Saturday, yeah, you don't want physical practices. That that's just that just wouldn't be wise. So um, we'll see. Yeah, it's like like I said, maybe they're going to use this as they still got the win. They still won by two touchdowns, but there's still so much to work on. And maybe like yeah, I mean you you know those those guys on the offensive line. You know the guys on offense. They're they're pissed that they didn't play well. And you know and, and hopefully instead of you know hopefully they come out with a focus during practice. Let's get better. Let's you know. Let's let's understand where we went wrong in that game. Let's get better and let's come out on you know on Saturday against West Virginia and play well. Um, man, I'm hoping there's a lot there. If, if this team comes out and they they respond well against West Virginia, who just I mean just just add another I, add add more evidence to the to the growing pile that this that this program is is kind of where they want it to be or it's getting there at least. All right, more three-word reviews at WC30, sloppy COVID football. <laughs> um, all right, Doug on Twitter says, defense, defense, defense. Ryan on Twitter, uh, I, I kind of sympathize with this one. Glad it's over. <laughs> yeah, I, that, was a, that was a weird one, man. Um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, that was one of those games where it's like, yeah, Baylor's not going to win this game. It does, and it's just like, please be over so there's no injuries or... Yeah, that's why it, it's like um, it kind of. I mean, it, it th- this pisses me off, kind of to no end always. But Baylor, I mean, still Baylor going out there, still running their freaking offense when the game was over, and just like the only thing that can happen there is people get hurt. I hate that stuff, man. Like I, I, I mean, they they went well, out there and they OU's were trying, they're trying to score go. again when they got the ball with thirty seconds left. That's yeah, like, <sighs> yeah. I mean, I mean, OU's defense let him go the whole field. I mean, OU's defense should have gotten him off the field, man. I mean, that was like a 15-play, 17-play, 5-6-minute drive, 17-play drive. I mean, that was. I mean, it doesn't matter, but that was frustrating, especially after Oklahoma was able to keep Oklahoma State out of the end zone late in that game. Yeah, they weren't. Uh, I'm I'm annoyed that that they let Baylor score go down. They weren't a shell on that the, drive. The drive started just, at like the yeah. five. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that uh, it was frustrating. They weren't a shell on that drive. They didn't. They they didn't disguise anything. They were just. I mean, they were just in the. So yeah, I mean that that, but their starters were out there. So I mean, yeah. Um, all right, so Chase, this is interesting. At Rooster Wi-Fi on Twitter says Graham over Rambo. Um, 
Are you saying, Chase, that you want DJ Graham to start getting snaps at wide receiver over Charleston Rambo? Well, I mean, like, you know where that's coming. Like, he was, when Graham came to OU, he was presumed to be a wide receiver. So that's. Oh, I had no idea. He played wide receiver in high school. He was a. Oh. He was the uh, he was the athlete designation as a recruit. Oh, so he was all okay. I, I think, and like I, I don't so know. So I'm Who, the idiot here. Got it. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I mean, do you want to yeah. talk about DJ Graham though? Um, oh yeah, we haven't really talked about him yet, have we? Yeah, he's a guy. I mean, you can see the like. Clearly, he still has some things he needs to work on. Um, but, I mean, you you see the athleticism though. You see the ability just on the on the interception, and that's you. You talk about how he's only five eleven or whatever, but he plays bigger. He's really long. His arms are super are super long, and that's I mean that's that's huge for a corner. So, um, yeah, you saw it on that interception, which he should have dropped. By the way, he would have they would have gotten an extra five yards if he just would have batted it down. Uh, but no, I, I think his return gave him better field position. Are you sure? I'm pretty. I thought I thought it did. I thought I think I think they were across the fifty, and I think his return got it almost close to the fifty yard line. It doesn't. I, it, the point is, though, <laughs> like we've now seen what it's like that. I mean that that is an athletic play that a defensive back made that we have not seen OU defensive backs make in the last handful of years, and that's now one we see from DJ Graham, and now we've seen we we saw one in the Texas game with Woody Washington going up and high pointing a ball to pick it off, and I, I mean I think it's pretty clear. That going into 2021, I mean, those are going to be your two starting corners in all likelihood, Woody Washington and DJ Graham. Um, and like, I, I don't, and with, you know, Jaden Davis is potentially maybe your third corner. And I, it's, that's pretty salty. Is it not? I mean, that, yeah, no, it's, they it's, could be really good, good there. Yeah. Uh, they got plus three yards on the interception. They, uh, Baylor was at the 40. The return got him to the OU forty three. Okay, so, so then maybe boom. I was just I my yeah I, visually I was just off then I guess. So the interesting part about that play to me, as I was watching back the film, uh, Oklahoma rushed three, and earlier in the game they had rushed three and they dropped eight and they had Deshaun White in the middle of the field and Deshaun White uh, was responsible for Charlie Brewer and Brewer made a miss and picked up the first down and ran for the first down on fourth down, and. Like it's easy to look at that and be like, "Gosh, Deshaun White again!" Like how I've been very critical of him uh, as a spy for the quarterback because he he's struggled this year doing that. But I think the problem with that play was is that he was put in a bad position. I don't know if anybody on Oklahoma's defense is able to make that play in the middle of the field with all this space for Brewer to to, to run with to get only four yards. So I think he was put in a bad spot. What what I think he should have done is if you're going to have somebody spy, just kind of hang him around the line of scrimmage, close to the line, and then let Brewer decide and then make a move. And then later in the game, Oklahoma started doing that. But instead with, not with uh, White, they did it with John Michael Terry, which normally is Nick Benito. So there you go. And, and so on, on the fourth down, when Graham made the pick, they rushed three. They had John Michael Terry uh, spy Brewer, and he kind of just hung around the line of scrimmage. He didn't drop really soft into coverage that would give Brewer a bunch of space to run. He hung around the line of scrimmage. Brewer got flushed out of the pocket, so JMT starts to close. Michael Terry starts to close, and that's when he threw it to DJ Graham. But what was so? So that was good. I'm glad that they adjusted there. But also, what was interesting is that Oklahoma was playing cover two, and I have criticized Oklahoma's use since Alex Grinch has been here since last year. Their use of cover two in obvious long passing situations, time and time again. But this time, it actually worked. DJ Graham 
uh, had the flats, came, you know, he, he, he sank, but then he came up and made the play, and he was there. But, again, I, I can point to all the big plays in the Big 12 title game last year against Baylor's second and third string quarterbacks to show you instances where cover two in third and long situations did not work. And I, I still don't like it. I, I'm not a fan, but it worked that time. So I found that to be pretty interesting on that play by Graham. All right, more three-word reviews. Brad says, let's move on. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, at M. Haggard, Marky Mark on Twitter says, Aranda Riley Nemesis. That's back-to-back games. I mean, obviously, Aranda had a lot better players at LSU, and, and LSU had a fantastic offense. Uh, and that was the difference. Um, I, think, I think if Baylor had LSU's offense, Grant, I think Baylor would have won that game on Saturday <laughs> from 2019. That's very hard-hitting analysis. Hot take. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, at Lefty Squad on Twitter says, I enjoyed it. And his rationale is, he says, the 58 to 48 games that Oklahoma always had were exhausting. Seeing Oklahoma play defense physically and impose its will and play with discipline was fantastic. I could sympathize with that a little bit. It was definitely different. It was definitely more of a Big Ten game. We got a couple more. Ben uh, Ben will bring us home here. He says, come on, Lincoln. Ronnie is ridiculous. And Graham is good. All right, hey, I'm so going to be the first. Uh, I'm going to be the first one to say I'm not the first one to say this, but uh, maybe the first time on this podcast, Ronnie Perkins needs to come back next season. He has one move: run past the guy in front of him. He doesn't have any other pass rushing moves. Doesn't really do anything with his hands. He needs to come back. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, but what if he's going to be graded out as like a first or second rounder? He's I gone. Don't think he will be. I mean, if he is graded out, then he he'll be gone. But. It's yeah, a perfect example. I'm not sure about the other defensive linemen out there around the nation, you know, in this draft class. I, I don't know. I mean, uh, if it's a super deep draft class, yeah, I mean, I don't know, maybe. But at, at this point, I mean, I think he's I think he's more than ready for the NFL. He's definitely – I, I don't know. I mean, I just – I he's I, he, I, he's physically ready for the NFL for sure. Uh, he just – he needs to develop some pass rushing moves. He needs to spend an offseason with Isaiah Thomas. Uh, he was really good, by the way, wasn't he? He's awesome, Man. Isaiah. Tom, I'm like, I'm start, I'm getting to the point where I I hope he comes back next year because he's kind of playing himself into, you know, he's he's definitely playing himself into some money for sure. Man, there was a uh, earlier in the game, I think, in the first half when Baylor was backed up, they had a third and nine, and um, Oklahoma was showing Brewer some some complicated looks. They had five at the line of scrimmage, and then they they rushed three and dropped eight. And only rushing three didn't. I mean, Isaiah Thomas just left the right tackle in the dust, and just that was. I think that was the first sack of the game for Oklahoma. It was nice. I mean, he he's good. Yeah, he's in in, in, in the pa- in pass rush, stopping the run. I mean, he's he's playing really well. I'm very very happy uh, that I was so wrong about him. Um, I I wrote him off at the beginning of this season. I was like, ah, if you're if you're if you're counting on that guy, then ugh. and I mean, wow, just how incredibly. Incredibly wrong that was. Uh, another guy who stood out to me uh, on Saturday, who I thought had a really nice game, was Corey Roberson. Um, there were, there was a play just, um, there was a one play in particular where Baylor was trying to set up a screen, and he read it perfectly. Like he 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 noticed right away what the offensive lineman was trying to do to him, and he he instantly tried to find the ball or find the running back, and he did, and he he made he made Brewer go away from that. Um, I should have been more prepared for that, but 
Corey Roberson was really good. Um, and that, I mean, more depth um, emerging in that position is only a good thing. I, I just give me give me all of the good players on the defensive line. I, I don't. I I want everyone in the program in that position group to be awesome. You cannot have enough really good players, and so I, I just enough cannot be said about the development of that group this year. Uh, what an like th- their defensive line last season was really good. They had a really good season, and they they were one of the best in the country last season. And, and I just never in my wildest dreams did I think that they would be even better this year, and they are. And so I just a lot of credit has to go to that room, the coaches obviously Calvin Thibodeau and Jamar Kane. That that's just. It's awesome. It's awesome. That that is that I mean that position group is back up to Oklahoma standards and it it feels like it kind of happened in a blink, like a blink and you miss it. Um and it's 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 really great to see. Yeah, the one play Roberson stood out that, that I noticed he he was rushing right in Brewer's face and then he, he got blocked off and still got his his arms up and, and batted down a pass. Oklahoma had a lot of a lot of passes batted down. Perry on Winfrey later in the game had one. Uh JMT had one. Uh, they were they were batting a lot of play. I think maybe even Josh Ellison. I think had one at one point too. My guy, so, Josh Ellison. Yeah. Uh, so, and I wanted to bring up Winfrey because Perrion Winfrey played really well uh, as well. Um, and uh, you mentioned Calvin Thibodeau and Jamar Kane. Thibodeau up for the Burroughs Award goes to the uh, the top assistant coach. So, um, very interesting there. Good for him. Congratulations. Uh, outside of that, uh, anything else from the game that uh, we haven't touched on? God, we've got man. Did we go pretty long on just like did we just how much man we Snap talked about that we're at, we're at ninety minutes man. we've talked I, about the most boring OU game since the start of the millennium for an hour and twenty six minutes how about that I just, all right let's try to move on to the next thing uh, we got West Virginia coming up on uh, on Saturday uh, Sooners of course making up that postponed game from a couple weeks ago eleven a.m. kick we're recording this Wednesday early evening now it's kind of. Uh, mid to not necessarily late evening but as far as we can tell everything still a go for this week haven't heard anything otherwise uh the acc they canceled notre dame and clemson's final regular season acc games before that acc championship between notre dame and clemson the big 12 is not doing that with oklahoma west virginia Uh, lincoln riley was very clear this week he was saying that he's happy that they're playing the game because uh, Oklahoma's had so many weeks this year where they haven't played in the football season. And essentially, Riley said that in order for us to keep getting better and to hit the levels of play that we need to be at this time of the year, we just need to play games. And I could not agree more with Lincoln Riley. I was so happy to hear him say that message and that that's the message coming across throughout the program and out of the program heading into this game, which let's be real. I mean, this game is technically about as meaningless as it can get considering Oklahoma's their chances at making the playoff uh, are they're basically nil unless some really crazy things happen. Uh, and obviously, since Oklahoma's already in the Big 12 championship game. So the question I have for you, Grant, is are you like me? Are you happy that this game is still scheduled to be played? Or would you prefer that the Big 12 would have canceled it? Anyone who thinks this game should have been canceled, don't even get off the bus, man. Just if anyone like just no, I, I would have been beyond bummed out pissed off if the big 12 would have canceled this game i don't i i agree it's a football game that's scheduled you only like i I think this season has shown us more than any that you should really appreciate the football that you get if they would have canceled this game i would have been fuming pissed yeah 
And, and I I'm, hope that everybody on Oklahoma's roster would have also been mad. I, I, I've never played college football. I played high school football. So have you, Grant. I, I can't imagine a game getting canceled. I, I just, it's so fun to play game. That's why you practice. I mean, the practices are not fun. It, it's a lot of work. Hit the weight room. It's, the game is where it is. And even in a year when you have it clinched up, I just, if, if there's anybody on that roster that was thinking, ah, oh, man, I'd rather just not play this week, then that is a, that's a huge problem to me. And I, maybe it's different in college. I know that I was talking to Dusty about this last week, and he said, you know, I, coaches wouldn't say this publicly, but, you know, coaches are always worried about injuries. Of course they are. I get that. I get you're always worried about injuries. It's the same, same kind of principle as the NFL. You know, week 17, you got your playoff spot clinched. Do I play my starters? Do I not? You know, like, do I risk injury? But, but I, I don't want these guys to have all this time off, though, because then maybe they'll get out of sync. Like, it's, I get that. But in a year, you kind of brought it up. They already had two games taken away from them. They're only playing 10 regular season games. So this is a way for them, you know, they get the Big 12 title game, then they'll, they'll get at least one extra game, even though they should have had, you know, if they made it, that'd be 13. Point being, like, in a year where they've already had games stripped from them, stripping another game would have been, I think, if I was a player, devastating because I want to play as many games as possible. And that, I think that's what you're saying as well. So I'm glad we're on the same page there. I'm yeah, glad Lincoln Riley is too. Yeah, me too. I, I, I'm really glad. Um and I believe him. Like, oh, I do too. I, I do too. He's, I mean, the, the attitude from Lincoln Riley since the season started has, I mean, he's been Lincoln Riley. It's not, I know there was lots of talk in, in the preseason and, and about, you know, maybe his, his, what level of care he had for this season in, in context of COVID. You can tell that he is, he's locked in and he's, he, he very much cares about this team and this season. And so I, 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 I'm glad that those discussions appears they weren't even had, it sounds like. And so that's that's very good to hear. Here's the thing. On Tuesday, I requested to ask a question of Lincoln. Unfortunately, you know, my standing is, you know, Dean at News 9, he always gets to ask questions to Lincoln Riley first, obviously. He's Dean Blevins. So like, if there's ever any time, then I get to ask a question if, if I want to. And I'm always at the very back of the line. And I get it. That's fine. I mean, I... I'm not uh, somebody who's covered this team as long as a lot of these other people that have covered the team. I get it. It's fine. Uh, but unfortunately, Lincoln, I, he was cut short on Tuesday. He was cut short by about five or ten minutes. I was going to ask him, because nobody had asked him, I was going to ask him about, uh, ask him if the Big 12 had any discussions with you about possibly canceling this game, because I was curious. I, cause, cause the ACC did it. I was going to preface it with that. I was I just, because we don't know. Uh, it, it doesn't. I'm going to guess it, it didn't happen, but I just I was going to ask him to get it on record to see if it was the case. Um, and, and if so, obviously, he would have it sounds like he would have been like, yeah, no, I don't want to cancel. Like I. So anyway, I didn't get a chance to ask him that question. So I just also want nice to know. want to throw out one more time that uh, the SEC, the ACC and the Big 12, um, I'm not saying there weren't hiccups along the way. I'm not saying that there weren't things that they kind of had to adjust on the fly, but they got through this season just fine. They got through the oh, year yeah. just fine. Of course, there were postponements. There were a little bit of cancellations, I think, in the SEC. Uh, but they got through this season just fine. Uh, they should have played 12 games. And at games. Florida State. <laughs> I think they Florida should, State they, canceled a bunch of games. <laughs> they should have played, played 12 games this year. Agree. I agree. Uh, it was definitely possible. And that's, I think that's a kind of reading the tea leaves, something that Lincoln – not kind of touched on a bit whenever on Tuesday he was like there's been so many we've had so many bye weeks this year and you know, obviously that one a couple weeks ago wasn't planned 
But I mean, it, it, it's like they've had so many weeks where they haven't played, and they—I mean—they're so deep into the year. Where at this point, normally the Big Twelve title game is already over with, and we know who the playoff teams are. Oklahoma still got two games left, and so we're this deep into the season, and Oklahoma's only played nine games. So I mean, that's got to be really frustrating, obviously, for Lincoln Riley because. In any other normal year, they they would have already played thirteen games by now. So yeah, it's just it's only at nine. Super weird. It's yeah, the whole, uh, yeah, the everything that kind of happened between you know the end of July and uh, like that two or three week span after the end of July and what was going on with college football that will just that will always forever be uh, endlessly frustrating for me. Uh, an extremely frustrating time that was, um, and I, I just oh man. They should have. They the the season could have continued. Uh, obviously, there would have been stops. There would have been starts, just like we've seen. But a path was available, um, and they they should have. Thankfully, the Big Twelve, the ACC, the ACC, and the SEC took the path while it was there. Um, the same can't be said for for other conferences. Very true. And uh, just to kind of piggyback off of something you said a little bit ago about how uh, there's very few of these games you got every time you get a chance to play you want to play I asked Jeremiah Hall on Tuesday if uh, you know now that we're this deep into the season and they've you know they've the do you take any is there any sort of pride that you take in your team your conference that you guys have been able to get this far into the year with with very few issues and he said (laughs) Jeremiah Hall said man honestly like I didn't think we'd make it like he said back in August, back in like early on, he said, I didn't think we'd make it. And he said, it's, it's a blessing just to play football. And truly, we don't know which game will be our last game. And then you have to take advantage of every single opportunity. I, I know that a lot of people probably back in August and September didn't think they were going to make it. Obviously, Jeremiah Hall thought that. So that probably means a lot of other people inside the Oklahoma program thought that as well. I don't know if it's just players or players and coaches. You and I always kind of figured that they were going to make it. It was going to be fine. It was it was based off of just a gut feeling, and based off of well, you kind of just you kind of had to it kind of had to work. I mean, they had to make it work, and every there's other things too that we probably shouldn't go into here in the podcast. But I, we we are going to be proven to be correct about it, and I'm not saying that if you were uneasy about it that you were wrong. It's fine. I mean, everything has been different and new this year in 2020, but I. We, you and I have been pretty confident ever since the beginning of it. Uh, we were very frustrated by all the will they, won't they stuff because we thought it was completely unnecessary for the most part and totally um, self-imposed in a lot of ways. And it, yes, it is good that the Big 12, the SEC, and the ACC uh, did not cave and go with the Big 10, who now that time has gone by... I, at the time, it, it kind of seemed like they were trying to push everybody into not playing. It, it seems like. I mean, uh, I'm glad that didn't happen. Oh, you're so anyways, not. It's, I'm not. I'm not Big J like you. They definitely were trying to push everyone into not playing. <laughs> All right. That so, was that I, anyway, was what I'm, they were I, certainly trying to do. Right. And I'm rambling at this point. I'm not really saying anything that you guys already know. So I'll just I'll stop and move on. All right. Listen, we broke down West Virginia a couple of weeks ago. You can go ahead and go back to uh, that episode of the podcast if you want all the details of course the big change though since that last episode is that West Virginia's defense was completely exposed by Iowa State last week and that offense from West Virginia uh, couldn't do much at all against the Cyclones defense so essentially the Mountaineers were just embarrassed so the, the next question I have for you Grant is a couple weeks ago on the podcast we talked about 
All the reasons why Oklahoma was set up for a letdown against West Virginia. This week, it's another possible letdown spot because Oklahoma's already clinched the Big 12 title berth. Uh, West Virginia just got absolutely smoked by Iowa State. And now West Virginia is going back home to play its last game of the regular season at home where they've played their best football all season long. Plus, the uh, defense for West Virginia, which is pretty solid, just had a terrible game. They're going to have that OU Baylor tape to watch back and maybe get some clues on how to slow down the Sooners offense like Baylor did. So which letdown spot has you more worried uh, two weeks ago or this week right now? Uh, it's a cop out, but I mean, I, I feel about the same of, as this game as I do now as I would have two weeks ago. Um, now there's another data point saying that maybe West Virginia isn't quite as good as, you know, as we thought. I don't want to overreact, you know, with one game because it looks like Iowa State's playing pretty well right now. Um, but I'm not like I'm not super concerned about an OU letdown because of the Baylor game. I think they're going to be fired up wanting to correct a lot of the stuff that, you know, a lot of the mistakes they made in that game. And of course, you know, I mean, something's got to give. Neil Brown is a good coach. I think West Virginia is a well-coached team. You know that they're going to be making, that they're going to want to come out on Saturday and make a statement that, you know, they're, you know, not 36 points worse than Iowa State and they're a lot better team. And, you know, being at home as well will be a big deal. I, like, I, I'm not sure it, it matters though. Like, I don't, you know, West Virginia's like like I said, you know, West Virginia has a good defense, but I always, you know, I had the caveat two weeks ago though, but they haven't played, you know, the two best offenses in the Big Twelve. Well, they just played they just played the second best offense in the Big Twelve, and they gave up forty two. And yeah, I, I watched quite a bit of that game, and Iowa State looked really good. That what whatever Iowa State kind of did whatever they wanted to on offense in that game. Um, Brock Purdy had a good game. Uh, their tight ends had a good game. They were thrown over the middle of their, to, to their tight ends a lot. So I'm kind of curious as, hey, that makes me wonder, do, are we, can we just go ahead and assume Austin Stogner's probably out for the season? Oh, um, here's the interesting thing about that. Nobody asked uh, Lincoln at all this week about Stogner's availability. And that's just, Cause I guess I, maybe it's to the point where we, we know he's not going to give us any straight answers. Um, the reason I say but, that is because uh, yeah. there was like, you know, there was the talk about how oh, he, he maybe could have played for Oklahoma State, but it was a game time decision, ended up not playing at all. And then they have an entire week off. And then there was no talk about him, you know, leading up to the Baylor game at all. And he just he wasn't out there. So, I mean, I think he pretty, he pretty clearly has a, has a much more serious injury than it was probably led on. And if he wasn't able to play in this game, that leads me to believe he was nowhere close to ever playing against Oklahoma State. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, obviously, I have literally no inside info. I always kind of thought that uh, that KU game, I mean, geez, it's been, I mean, it's been a month since then. So um, the two injuries people talked about after that game was Stogners and Rattlers, and people freaked out over Rattler, and I, I just didn't think that was that big of a deal. Uh, Stogner was a lot more I thought that was more of a chance of being something big and, and it looks like it was I mean just anything lower body knees with that big guy like the way he limped off the field it just it didn't look very good the Rattler thing is just whatever it, it, it didn't it was like yeah probably more of like a stinger and he was fine and he, he's been fine uh, yeah, I just find it kind of weird find it weird that there was there's just nothing in on you know on that front at all before Baylor and maybe it was just, I mean people were just focused on different things but um yeah and the I fact that like Riley hasn't even mentioned him at all, that sounds very Braden Willisy from earlier in the year when he missed like six weeks. 
So, yeah. I mean, um, it was uh, I think it was Will it was Willis last week before the Baylor game that I was telling you, ah, read between the lines there doesn't sound very good for Stogner, and um, n- nobody I heard this week talked about him at all. So, uh, I yeah, I I don't expect him to play this week. I'm kind of holding out for Big Twelve title. Uh, may, maybe it's one of those things. Or you know maybe this week you know maybe they thought ah hey, we could hold him out for Baylor we don't need him for Baylor uh, granted they could have probably used him uh, if he was healthy maybe they're kind of waiting an extra week they could probably get by Baylor and then you know against West Virginia maybe they think they could use him uh, you know I, I don't know like, yeah I find it's all I just, speculation because yeah. we we don't know anything. no I just yeah I, I find it odd that there hasn't even even like been any smoke there at all like nobody's even talking about it. If you go to kind of like the inside message boards and stuff like that, I mean, nobody's even talking about it there. So I'm just, I'm curious seeing maybe if, if you've heard anything. No, I haven't. Uh, I'll uh, try to work on that this week, see if I get anything. Uh, but um, I can, so which letdown, you, you said kind of, you're not really worried or I can't remember. Did you, did you have a definitive answer to that letdown spot question? I, I, I feel <laughs> the same way about this game as I did two weeks ago. Okay. Okay. So I, I, I think if, I, I think if OU comes in and they, they play well, uh, I, I think they should probably be able to separate from West Virginia and that that's not to say that West Virginia is bad or anything um I just I, I'm not I am not particularly scared by their offense Jarrett Dagey is a statue um and I, I they're not going to be able to protect long enough to throw the ball downfield uh so you know I, I think a lot of it is going to come down to OU making sure that West Virginia can't run the ball which OU has been pretty excellent on you know all season long unless Brees Hall is in the backfield so um, we'll see, man. I, I just I I think this OU team is going to come out hungry and, and just kind of ready to correct all the mistakes they made against Baylor. And I I, I don't know, man. This is this tough. Definitely a tough spot for West Virginia coming off a game they lost by thirty six, and now they got to play the most talented team in the conference. That is also kind of peaking at the right time. Maybe maybe the offense is struggling, but the defense is peaking for sure. Um. And I, yeah, I, they, I, West Virginia, like they, they struggled to block Iowa State up front on offense, and I, I mean, I'm Oklahoma's defensive front is is significantly better than Iowa State's, so uh, it's, we'll see. West Virginia is a well coached team. That there is th- that uh, you know that variable is always there, but I, I mean, this game being eleven o'clock in the morning on the road, not in front of a lot of fans, uh, I, I'm. I'm not supremely worried about this game. It, it, it could certainly be a physical close game, um, but this is a game Oklahoma really should win by double digits. Yeah, I am more worried about the previous letdown spot than I am now because Oklahoma just played pretty poorly on offense against Baylor. Uh, they have a lot to correct from that game. And also for what you just mentioned, the game is going to be at 11 a.m. this time. I believe again, uh, the previously it was supposed to be a nighttime kick, a, a 6.30 or 7 o'clock kick. Uh, so I, I do like the earlier start time, and I like the fact that Oklahoma has a lot to improve upon from the Baylor game. First so I, I, time, I'd say, yeah. It's the first time what? they've ever played in Morgantown during the day. Every other time they've been to uh, Morgantown has been a night game, every time. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah, if you want to hear more details on West Virginia, even though it'll be slightly old, you can listen to the podcast from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, other than that, that's about all we're going to yeah, say about this game. I, uh, in, yeah. in terms of like West Virginia winning this game, they got two NFL guys up front. Um, OU's going to have to turn the ball over, and those two guys are going to have to have a, a pretty heavy impact on the game, I, I think, for West Virginia to win the game. I'm not saying it's impossible. It's not. West Virginia could certainly win this game. Um 
I just I I kind of feel like the one like the only thing that you know isn't going OU's favor in this game is is just kind of the idea that eventually they're going to lose to West Virginia and Morgantown, and, and that's that's not very high level analysis. And I, I'm not you know I'm not going to predict a game based on that. I, this is a game OU should win fairly comfortably. So <clears throat> so earlier in the week I saw Oklahoma I believe was favored by eleven, which and this was on Sunday, which was the same exact number they were favored by a couple weeks ago. Uh, now I'm looking on ESPN and they've got OU by 14, so the, the the line has moved up. I thought that was kind of fishy when it opened up around 11 because obviously two weeks have changed. Uh, Oklahoma hadn't played a game, but uh, West Virginia had, and the line had stayed the same. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. So initially I thought there was a little bit of value probably on Oklahoma, but now that it's moved three points, I two touchdowns, I don't know. I, what an interest, I, It's such an interesting... Uh, like. The lines this season have almost tracked like perfectly with with the SP plus numbers. It's it's basically right then and there. Uh, SP plus has OU as uh, should win this game by fourteen point one points. Says the computer, uh, and that's exactly what the spread is. OU up to uh by the way up to fifth overall in SP plus. And those uh, I th- and I think they've been pretty high in the ESPN FBI FPI pretty much all year too. So the uh, the analytics they like OU. Uh, I think if uh, I think the last I saw, I think OU they had the fourth number four uh, SP plus offense and they were twenty first on defense. That's great. Yeah, it was uh, I think last week where they the OU official account and this is obviously public information we could have found it, but just to put it out there on a tweet saying hey they're top twenty in offense and defense. I mean that's like it's incredible. I, I mean like where this team has been defensively. Like, wow. I mean, the fact that they got that high and the offense is still really good, it's, it's cool. It's really, it's, it's really cool. Um, gut tells me I think Oklahoma's going to win the game. Uh, two touchdowns, that's too many points. I, I, I can't lay big numbers anymore with Oklahoma. I, I, I laid it last week. I know last week's podcast I kind of sat on the fence and gave you reasons why Baylor was a good play, but also at the end of it kind of gave you reasons why Oklahoma might have good value at uh, 21 and a half. Uh, my initial thought was the right one. Uh, Baylor was definitely the play. That's just too many points. I mean, I, I don't mind picking Oklahoma when it's a touchdown, you know, against Oklahoma State. Or, but, I mean, I just don't like this team with double digits anymore. It's just they're, they're too unreliable. Unless they're playing Kansas, then I'll lay that. That's fine. All right, anything else on the game? No, I mean, I'm just – last, you know, last regular season game. I'm, you know, try to try to appreciate it. There's not uh, there's not going to be any more games played in college stadiums, you know, until next September after this game. So um, mm. just kind of yeah. yeah, just just kind of savor it. It always it always sneaks up on you, and it's it's weird in a season that was that was extended by by two weeks. You know, the conference championship games being played two weeks later this year. This has been the fastest college football season of of my life. Um, it's it's just flown by. I, I cannot believe how fast it's gone. Um, I mean that that'll happen. What with like Big Ten didn't even start playing until the end of October. So yeah, weird times. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, again, we I know we're doing these long podcasts. They're megapods. We're we're almost to two hours. Um, we briefly talked about college football playoff rankings at the beginning of the show. Didn't get to many details on it. I uh, Iowa State to seven is interesting. Um, Good for them. They, I think they deserve to be up there. They're playing their best football of the season right now. So Oklahoma's going to have a, a tough opponent in the Big 12 title game. Got to get by um, 
obviously. West Virginia first. Other than that, I mean, obviously Ohio State being at four. I mean, that's kind of the story right now, right? Ohio State. Yeah. Uh, today, uh, today uh, Wednesday, the Big Ten changed the rules. Uh, they're going to let Ohio State play in the Big Ten title now, so they're going to play Northwestern. Uh, the reasoning, at least, I don't know if it's what the Big Ten gave or it's what, what Pete Thamel reported. Uh, it, it does actually, given the situation, it makes sense uh, because even if even if they would have lost this game to Michigan, Ohio State still would have had the tiebreaker over Indiana. So I think that's okay. If you're going to change something, I guess that's a decent argument. But I, changing a rule in the middle of the season, I guess at the end of the year, is a is a terrible look. You, like, yeah. you can't. I mean, Optically, like, it's would terrible. You change, yeah. Would you cha- like imagine like fantasy football? Everyone's been in fantasy football leagues. Has, has anybody ever been in a league where people like in the middle of the season's like, oh, this we gotta change this rule? And like, no, like you don't change rules in the middle of the season. You didn't. You vote on it for the next year. That's how, and that's a very small micro level, but it's the same idea. I think same principle with a conference. You don't change rules in the middle of a conference. So a I, season. I, I think this definitely has multiple angles to it. Um, there, there's there's absolutely a case to be made that what they're doing is is the right thing. I mean, it's, it's definitely the right thing for the conference uh, overall. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's definitely, definitely the right thing to do. Um, I, I think if you want to criticize the Big Ten and the decision that they made in this instance, it, it's kind of a, you know, it's it's an integrity uh, argument. It's just like you know, or a slippery slope argument. Um, if you're going to do it now, you know, what's what's stopping you from doing it in the future? And I know a lot of people are saying, you know, unprecedented times, whatever. Um, you'd be surprised by how, you know, how well human beings can rationalize stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I yeah, I, I think if you're going to criticize the Big Ten for this, it, it is just kind of an integrity variable saying, like, wh- is there any integrity anymore? Or, like, but of course, it's pretty easy to come back and say, you know, these were arbitrarily made rules like two months ago anyway. Um, but really for me, the, the annoyance here is that just, I, I, is, is seeing the college football media just kind of go along with it and not, and I, I just, I really think the big 10 deserves a, a public lashing and they, they deserve, they deserve to optically look terrible. And so I, I, I think, I think by far just kind of the most, uh, like the most delicious thing that would happen in this instance is if Ohio state loses in the big 10 championship game. And that that would be just that would be so great. That would be so delicious. Um, because karma. I mean, it, it sucks for Ohio State because they've, for all intents and purposes, Ohio State's done everything right. It's not the fault of anybody at Ohio State. Like that's that's yeah. kind of where it gets. But also, man, they agreed to those rules at the beginning of the season. And yeah. you know, they but, but hey, they could have pushed back harder. I guess I don't know. I'm at the point now. I don't have anywhere near as much problem with the with what the Big Ten is doing right now. I'm the type of guy, I do believe in college football federalism. I do want the conferences to be independent and kind of do their own thing. How they determine their champion right now, I don't really care. That's fine. Ohio State is clearly the best team in their conference. They want to, they you know, fudge the rules around in order just to kind of make that official. That's fine with me. Um, I'm at the point now, I do have a problem with a 6-0 Ohio State in the playoff. I have a pretty big problem with that. Um it's not one I can I can fully articulate yet. It just it just feels gross. It feels nasty. Um, it, it just it's not fair. It's maybe it's it's maybe just fair to uh, the Ohio State players. Sure, whatever. Uh, I don't think it's fair to you know the other ninety or so college football programs who started in September, um, and have had to, and have, like we're talking about 
OU is going to play five more games in Ohio State. Um, yeah, I, I just, I mean, in Ohio yeah, State, except, except OU doesn't have a anything to to stand on because they lost. Sure, sure, and, they and lost and two I, of their first three. Sure, <laughs> sure, I, and I get it. And like, I'm not even saying like I don't, I don't even think OU. I don't think OU deserves to be in the playoff. I'm not saying that. I think I think Ohio not State either. put a gun either. to my. I think Ohio State's better than OU probably right now today. Um, but there's just something that just really does not sit well with me with the team playing playing half the games of the other teams in the playoffs still getting in. It it really does kind of have an, a, an aura to it of why did you the Big Ten didn't even have to play this year? Just put Ohio State in because that's what you want to do anyway. And I, I don't I understand this is a pandemic year and it's very unlikely anything like this is ever really going to come up again. Um, but I, I just doesn't anyone else just feel dirty with that? Like, doesn't that just feel wrong? Especially when you're going to have like a Cincinnati team potentially that's like ten and zero, and I understand that they don't play a very tough schedule, but right now, currently, Ohio State's five and zero. They've beaten one five and one team, Indiana, and then the other four games are against teams that are currently two and four right now. Well, I mean, yeah. So you you mentioned it would be delicious if uh, Northwestern wins the Big Ten title. You know, maybe the uh, the ultimate karma, even uh, maybe the ultimate karma. Even though Ohio State, again, nothing against Ohio State, they've done everything right for the most part, at least for what we can tell. Maybe then this season, them making the playoff and getting that fourth seed, and then getting uh, embarrassed by Alabama is actually the ultimate karma. Because I don't want to see like like after last year seeing Oklahoma just get totally embarrassed like that. That was I'd much rather in hindsight put Oklahoma in a different bowl game and not get embarrassed because that was a that was an awful loss. Like I I've always been before that like oh yeah playoff over everything. And then that game happened and I experienced it watching it and that was that sucked. So maybe that like even though that would be terrible for Ohio State fans even though they've already experienced that they got embarrassed by Clemson that one year in the playoff. Um, I mean this Ohio State team is it's it's a good team but I don't know how good it is i mean they can't seem to stop the pass and alabama's pretty good at passing so i mean maybe they maybe they make it and then they get beaten by three or four touchdowns and it's just like oh well that's what you get but still i don't know i mean like ohio state doesn't necessarily deserve what the big 10 as a the conference officials deserve so i don't know but at the same yeah, time no, like, it would a- suck to be cincinnati and get in and get beat by five touchdowns that would be pretty lame that'd be lame but i mean you don't know for sure that would happen that would likely happen yeah but- that's true um, that's why I like that's why I like more and more playoff teams because yeah there's more playoff oh, games be, and yeah it's more fun be a be a great year for an 18 playoff and this is like the thing like I'm I'm getting kind of irritated about like people saying like oh well Ohio State's gonna get in because they want their money and I'm like no that that is not if this was all about money the playoff would have been an 18 playoff years ago it's not that would that would that would that would bring in so much more money than what they currently are. So it's not, I mean, I'm sure that's part of it, but a lot of it is like this, the college football playoff committee is made up of good old boys. They're in the good old boy club and they're just, they, they like Ohio state just like everyone else. They're, they, they, they run in the same circles with the college football media people. And they like, they just, they like Ohio state. That's what it is. And they like OU too. So I'm not saying like, you know, past years clearly show that they like OU also. Um, yeah, and they're, they're putting a tough spot. I mean, they, I mean, they never wanted to do this because 
it was going to it would put him into a corner. So that's why they didn't do it. But they, I mean, the, the committee could have announced at some point, hey, you got to have a minimum X amount of games to. And they really the, should have done that. But, like, you know, they didn't because they didn't want to paint themselves into a corner. But now it's almost like I don't know if they wish they would have because, I mean, and two things to be true at once. I bet in hindsight they wish they would have done that because then it would take all of their their decision making of, of Ohio State like off the table so they wouldn't have to wrestle with that decision. But at the same time, they they kind of want to have the idea of getting them in because they, they probably think, yeah, they're one of the best four teams. You know, that's so I don't know. I mean. It's just yeah, I, I kind of hate the. It's 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 such a. I just when you don't have clear, concise criteria for getting in, you just open yourself up for so many inconvenient arguments. And I hate, I hate the best team, like the best team metric, because it's extremely subjective. And like, I, it's it's the same thing. I, like I'm like I I st- like I don't think Notre Dame is one of the four best teams in the country. They they deserve it. They, they deserve to be there because of the results that have happened on the field. But no, I mean, I, I think there's probably four teams that are better than Notre Dame right now, currently. Hmm. I'm trying but to I just find... Like, I, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to... Uh, I'm at the, the, the playoff committee's website because, again, you always have to remind yourself, you know, what the website says as far as, like, their criteria because it's always... Isn't there some sort of statement where it's like, oh, we got to find the the four best teams or something? It's kind of subjective. Or, it's extreme. Uh, yeah, they they have like a yeah. There's a they have like a mission statement, but it's very subjective. They give themselves lots of wiggle room, and uh, I don't know. I just like this isn't this is such a weird season where it's like it's Ohio State. Let's just say it right now, their resume they have a they have a, an extremely undeserving resume, no matter what, extremely undeserving. Um. And so, like, what is so? Is everyone just kind of this season just going to be like, oh, it's just a weird COVID year, so whatever? And people don't think there's going to be any consequences to that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I, I guess, yeah. As you know, as kind of a conservative guy, sometimes my like, I feel like my role in society is to, you know, just to throw my hands up and say, stop, think about what you're doing before you do it. And well, I, I don't. This is. I, I think this could be setting a pretty slippery precedent. And. um you know, it, like this is this. It's all moot. Ohio State is very clearly going to get in. Like, th- they're not going to lose to Northwestern. Um. So I mean, we'll see. And, and then Ohio State, like as they currently are, you know, constructed right now, they're going to really struggle with Alabama. So we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I just, yeah. but gosh, I, I mean, I, I can't. Are they really going to do another? Are they really going to do a, a Notre Dame Clemson rematch? At two three, oh, yeah. I doubt it. I bet they. I, I I bet. I bet the winner. I bet the loser of the ACC championship game is actually the four seed, and Ohio State's the three uh, seed. I bet. I bet that's what they do. See, it's another. Yeah, I just. And the thing I, is, though, they're. Yeah. Like, and, and the thing is, I guarantee you, they're going to come out and they're going to they're going to muddy the waters. They're not going to they're not going to come out and say, okay, we only put we we only put Ohio State up there just because we wanted to avoid the rematch. They're not going to do that. They're going to come up with some BS rationale, even though it's obvious that the reason why they don't do it is because it is, is to avoid the rematch. Yeah, and, and I've said it a million times before. I'll just I'll try to make it quick. It it the thing my thing with college football is, and well, I I love the NFL uh, way more than college football. NFL is my favorite, and I, I think it, it, over the years it crystallizes even more and more. It it comes down to because the playoff setup for each league. I mean, college football just has all this, all these other sports and leagues and and 
football leagues too that show you how to do a playoff. It's not a novel idea. There's been playoffs in sports forever. But yet the college football playoff and college football in general, Division One specifically, just does their own thing and like chooses like the least interesting version, or, like the, the version that will give the most, I guess, controversy or, or whatever. And I know that people like you in the past, you said, oh, I, one of the best things about college football is the debate and stuff. I disagree. I think that's stupid. There's no debate in the NFL who the best team is. They get everyone gets seated in the playoffs and then they play the games. It's a you can have a, a fun debate like right now, like, oh, who's the best team, the Chiefs or what? like whatever. That's talk radio stuff. Who cares? Like, But there's actually debate in college football and that puts teams in playoff more often than not, I guess, with whatever the college football uh, playoff committee debates. And that's stupid. It's really stupid. So like as, as long as a college foot as college football just has this weird determination where we're only gonna have four teams and not more teams and open it up and, and do a playoff like every other uh every other college football format in division in division two fca whatever they all have actual playoffs until the nfl has playoffs the, like until they do something like that it's gonna just be this stupid thing all the time and you, you're you're not going to be able to convince me otherwise that no, having mean, I, four that having four teams is better than expanding it. That yeah, you know, I, I I started to come around last year. I mean, when I was I was losing my mind last season with like with the OU and Utah stuff before before it neatly kind of sorted itself out. Uh, but I I did not enjoy the debate last year at all. The debate sucked because there's not there actually is no debate. It's a bunch of it's a bunch of people that have no oversight that are. That are picking the teams based on no set of you know n- no criteria, and that's just maddening. That's frustrating to me. That's not fun. Just I mean, take it out of the hands of that. That's why I, there's no such thing as that in the FCS. There's no such thing as that in the NFL in Division Two. It's just there is select parameters of how playoff teams are selected, and then it happens. It's just yeah. I mean, I'm like at this point in time, it's. It's so easy, and I know you you love the you know the the FCS format with the twenty four teams, and I think that would be awesome too. Um, but I mean, there's there's just I, why why not? Why is it not at eight right now? And why is it not an, an automatic berth if you win your conference? This is so easy at this point. It's it, like yeah, it's and, you're just you're I mean, kind of just owning yourself at this point in time by not doing it. You're making things so much harder on you. You I can know, make so much more money, so much more money, and people would be so much happier. It's just, and even the people who don't, who 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 say they don't like this setup, they'll come around. They will love it eventually. So here's the thing, uh, and I'll, I'll just recommend this. I don't know if you've listened. Um, this will be the last thing. We're over two hours. This is crazy. Um, uh, Joe Clapp is he's on Clay Travis's show every week. He's on Colin Coward's show every week. Um, I listen to to both. Uh, I, I enjoy Joel Klatt. He has great rapport with, with both of those guys and really interesting segments. But he was on Clay's show Monday. So if you haven't listened to that, I'd recommend it because he makes a point talking about how everyone in charge of just – and I don't even know if he's talking about the playoff really, but basically everyone in charge of like academia compared to the private sector. He talks about how those in charge of academia are just – they don't know what they're doing. Like they're leaving so much money on the table. Oh, he's, he's talking in terms of – yeah, the playoff and how like it's just it's a it's ridiculous that the playoff is only on ESPN. That that college football didn't open up to open that up to bidders and having like being allowing Fox to bid and allowing uh, who who else runs college football games? CBS, you know, and like it's just and so like make it a bidding war like the NFL. I mean, the NFL has playoff games on CBS, 
NBC, Fox, ESPN. Like they're making money hand over fist, and yet college football it's driven the by the yeah. The college football playoff is its it's its own separate entity. So they absolutely yeah, right. could so, have done that. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just he and he's not even talking about the playoff. It's just it kind of made me think of just the difference in who's running it over here in college compared to who's running it when it's professional sports and they're businessmen. He, I think that's what he says. He says business, businessmen. And in college, they're, they're not businessmen. They're, they're in academia. They, they, there's, no, there's no stakes. They just, and they make a lot of money, but, boy, it could be a lot more if they knew what the heck they were doing. And that's, kind of, I think, kind of the point Joel was making. And I, pretty interesting. He, uh, so, yeah, I, until there's actually adults in the room in college athletics, college football specifically, because the NCAA tournament for basketball is fine. That's, everyone loves that. It's great. It's exciting. Um, but for football, it's year in and year out. The product is not as good as it could be. And I don't know if it's ever going to get there in our lifetime, which is crazy to think about, but it's not up to us. It's, it's not up to, to anybody that we know. I mean, it, like, sorry, I, I know I'm rambling, but like, it sounds even like Joel Klatt, who's been all for the four-team playoff. He thinks expanding is dumb. He's even starting to come around more on expanding. It's like, he's kind of like begrudgingly doing it. But it's like, yeah, who, like, yeah. it's because like when you actually get down to what, like what would happen, the product on the field, who says no to more good football? Yeah. And like, uh, this is, this would lead to, uh, this would lead to more uh, adventurous scheduling, I feel like, um, because you would have much more leeway. Um, it can only ever help you. Tough scheduling can only ever help you. Just like it, just like right now in college basketball, teams have started to realize that if you go out and you play a challenging non-conference schedule, you are going to get the benefit of the doubt come tournament time and, and selection. And what that does is produce really, really good non-conference games year in and year out in college basketball. And I think that uh, the scheduling thing has actually been i think i've heard joel mention in the past while he's why he says the expansion would be bad that he says that those uh those games would not be scheduled as much you know what was his argument or or maybe they just don't they wouldn't matter anymore because you know you schedule these big games but now it's like oh if you can lose one or two then then who cares it doesn't feel as big and i i just i totally disagree because whenever whenever you're not penalized as much from one loss or even two losses you're going to be more willing to schedule those really interesting fun games that everybody wants to see what's what's the downside in that and then you play your conference schedule or whatever like i'm i wish that yeah I, anyway you yeah, just that's, that's stupid but. yeah it's like you know you bring up the the clad argument of you know them you know games like that would would be less likely to happen in a in an expanded format it no i it just it I, wouldn't no, at hold all on, hold on. So I, you you get you you completely get rid of that worry with the automatic conference birth that that right, shows yeah. you, you can exactly yeah yeah Everyone I think knows his argument that you was still wouldn't have games. a lot of leeway in your conference in your conference schedule. No, I, I and I'm, I'm sure Joe Klatt's a huge fan of West of Everest. I just want to make sure. Uh, I, I think his argument was always those big games wouldn't mean as much anymore because now, like, though the big game, it's like if you lose it, you could be out of the playoff race. Whereas, like, his thought was like, oh, it's not going to feel as big. Which our rebuttal to that would be, okay, like, I disagree. It's college disagree, football. Man. Every like. Every week, every week feels like big if it's a big game. Like it, you're not going to be like, oh, oh man, like so what if we like? I, I don't even know what the argument would be. Like it's it's going to feel big if Oklahoma was playing against USC. Like it's actually going to be kind of nice knowing that like oh this if they lose this game it, it's not going to kill their season. Like that that's what's so frustrating about college football. It doesn't allow teams to improve. 
It doesn't allow teams to to make a mistake or two. And I mean, it does every you know every once in a while. But I mean, and two yeah, losses. I'm starting, to, you're done. I'm starting to recognize those arguments as more of just an explanation as to why people feel like they like college football. But I don't think it's actually. I don't think it actually works out that way. Um, you know, I, I've said it numerous times. We love college football for the atmosphere surrounding it, the pageantry, the history. Um, none of that goes away with expanding a playoff. None of it at all. It's still there. And also, an expanded playoff would probably get more cool big games on campus, playoff games on campuses, which would be awesome. That would be that would be that's that's the big that's what I'm after. That's my end goal. I I I need the first round of the playoffs on campus. That would just be that would be electric. All right. Uh, by the way, LSU uh, just uh, gave themselves a a postseason ban. Uh, even though they're three and five, you know they just yeah, like, hey, we're we're good. And I guess they're getting penalized. So we'll see if the NCAA in the future gives them more penalties. But uh, hey, they're they just banned themselves from the bowl game this year. <laughs> uh, it's dude, whatever. Who cares? It's man, it's that a cheap was joke. cheap. Joke. I, I really wish uh, that this could have been a normal season, so we could really relish more in the collapse of LSU. I know it doesn't. I, I know. I know to a lot of their fans, it probably doesn't mean anything because they're they're just laughing all the way to the bank. They, they, they were part of probably the most fun season for a fan base ever in the history of college football. Um, but I don't know. I, I I think it would be really nice if LSU is bad for a while. It, it'd it'd yeah. be really nice. That that would be good for my soul if they were bad for a while. <laughs> Uh, all right, we're done for the day. Uh, enjoy Oklahoma, West Virginia. Grant and I will be back next week to discuss that and much more, I am sure. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee, and this is West of Everest.